This is exactly right. I'm Kate Winkler Dawson, a journalist, author, and podcast host. And I'm Paul Holes, a retired investigator with experience solving some of America's most notorious cold cases. Together, we host Buried Bones, a historical true crime podcast on the Exactly Right Network. Each week, we examine a different case from history and use our years of experience and 21st century forensics to bring new insights into these very old tragedies. Like the time the Sausage King of Chicago's wife went missing in 1897. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Follow Buried Bones wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kara Clank. A little RuPaul action with the hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Loved that. I am Lisa Traeger. We talk SVU. We talk um, crimes and we have celeb guests and we're excited to be here today. Yes. Chatting. Yes, What's yes, up? yes. What's Not too much. I mean, we're in the time machine as usual, but how was your 4th of July? You also have a mid part, middle part, and I am noticing you oh. trying to uh, fit in with the youth. Well, what? No, what I did was I just, I'm getting my hair cut right after this, but my hair was so dirty that I was too embarrassed to like go to the hair salon with it dirty, even though you are, you're excited to get it washed. So I just washed it and like blow dried it, but it's so puffy that I just did like a super tight bun to like depuff it a little bit. Are you doing color too or just a cut? Just a cut, just a cut. Okay, throw yeah. news. <laughs> yeah, my hair is like straw at the bottom. So here I am. I need to get a little bit of a snip snip. But um yeah, what did you what did you do for the fourth? For the fourth, I watched Love Island for most of the day. And then I went <laughs> to um to a friend's house. She's wealthy and she had a gorgeous view. Oh, nice. So we got to see all the fireworks from all around, everywhere. Yes. So that was, I, like, very cool. I went to the party that you went to last year. And okay. And I, they have great view of fireworks and stuff, too. And I saw, this is such a cryptic conversation because we don't want to name people, but I saw a person of interest who I thought would be at your party and was like, what are you doing here? I thought you were going to be at the other party. He was there and he left to go to that party. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is um, so silly. <laughs> <laughs> he was there um, and he Ubered on out of there. Yeah, yeah. And I saw our, our friend Sydney and Rosie loved Sydney's long nails and she just kept being like, can I see them again? And it was really cute. But Rosie partied. So we go to this party. It, they said kids were welcome and I can walk to their house. So we walk up to their house. It takes five minutes. So easy. Oscar's chilling for a little bit, but around his bedtime, 6.30 or 7, he's starting to melt down. And my husband just goes, why don't I take Jared, uh, Oscar home and you just stay here with Rosie because Rosie was dying to see fireworks and you just have to wait until it gets dark. And so I was like, sure. 
we could do this. And then Rosie was just chilling on the couch watching TV for a while, waiting for the start, the fireworks to start. So I like actually got to hang out a little bit. Having only one kid at a party is not a problem. It's just having two kids at a party. Well, and one that's entertained and one yeah. is excited about stuff. So yeah, was she, she jazzed as fuck? Oh and my And you got God. to drink. You weren't driving. Yeah, I could walk home. So I had a few beers. It was great. And then um, I actually brought her home and put her to bed after a little while. And then I came back for a little while. So it was really fun. But Did she like the fireworks? She loved them. I had her with my Bose noise-canceling headphones on and she was loving it. She just kept, like, she was obsessed. Like, And there were a bunch of other kids there at first, but then she was the last kid there. And I was like, am I the worst mom? Because I have my kid at the party the longest. But it was fun. It was fun. And she was really like... She kept going in to sit on the couch and then she would just come out onto the patio and find me and to tell me random stuff. Like, oh, I have a good... She keeps saying this real, this new thing where she goes, I know a good idea. And then she tells you some insane thing like, why don't I put my grapes in my macaroni and cheese? Like, she's every day with her is a new, I know a good idea. It's really funny. But do you let her put the grapes in the noodles? I did. And I said, do you like this? And she was like, yeah, but I think she was doing it out of spite. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, it was fun. It was like, I have had kids the last three, fourth of Julys and it's really been like a downer because you just kind of have to put them to bed and like it's, you know, but she really was jazzed about it this year. So it was fun. Yeah, some, one of our other friends posted a photo of their daughter losing their mind <laughs> at the fireworks, like jumping up and down like a maniac. And I did love it. Um, I love fireworks. I really yeah, do. No, I mean, same. we got to see them at the Backstreet Boys concert too. Oh, I'm wearing my Backstreet Boys shirt. Hell yeah. <laughs> no, I, I love a firework. Whenever I can get them, I love them. Like, well, the we best. can get them a lot in this neighborhood. Yes. Too. And our neighborhood like goes off. So then Rosie and I walked home together and it was just like our whole neighborhood was just on fire with fireworks. And she was like, huh? Like it was just <laughs> cute, like walking around with her at night. But well, I so on Saturday, I watched all eight episodes of season two of Hacks and okay. holy shit, it is so good. I'm like on episode three or four. I'm getting there. It is so good. No, it was, it's what I've been waiting for. I feel like I've been teasing this moment for myself. I'm like, I'm going to get a day and I'm going to watch it all. Yeah. And I fucking How did. And it is so good. It's so good. And then I went and did a show that night and Joe Mandy was there, who's the writer and the hotel worker in it. So then I got to like immediately yes. talk to someone that was in the room and I knew his jokes because I knew his work from The Good Place. So I was like, did you, was this joke yours? And it was. And I felt Oh yeah, like, I've known Joe cool. Mandy forever. We were yeah. New York together and he's really, really, I think, one of the funniest guys. He does my show all the time, too. He he lives he's nearby. and awesome. Like, yeah. And if it's, like, about hip-hop or basketball, there's no way there's another writer in the comedy room that right. came up with it. <laughs> it's like, oh, did you mention 3-6 Mafia? Are yeah, you yeah, sure? Yeah. And it's like, yes. <laughs> no, is he is so fucking him. funny. Speaking of something that I didn't find funny, are you caught up on Drag Race? Yeah. I did what not didn't you find like? the Santa sister, Santa school for girls funny at all. Oh, I, th I didn't know it was supposed to be, it was like a horror funny thing. They had it. I liked it. Ever, it made me realize how talented they all are. Like all of their acting was just so good. Oh Except my Jinx gosh. tried too hard to be spiteful and like she should have focused more on like her character. But Spite, it's the word of the episode. <laughs> Wait, why? You didn't think ever. I thought, I thought, um, not the Val. What the fuck's her name? I thought the Viv did amazing. And I thought 
Um, I thought that it was like just too many things. Like make it a horror thing, make it a Mean Girls parody, make it a Christmas thing. It's like a hat on a hat on a hat. It's too many fucking things. The queens didn't understand half the jokes that were written and they were pronouncing them wrong. They were like putting the emphasis on the wrong words. Like it was like, I know that's just because they don't give them a lot of time. You know what I mean? But but Janixa was an incredible director. She was great. I thought Janixa was great. I thought she was a great judge. She had a lot of insightful things to say. She did say the word divine too many times, but she had a lot of good things to say. I just thought that the, and the knit runway was really cool. I just thought it was like so long, not funny enough. And maybe I'm just bitter because I wrote the acting challenge my season and I was like, I could do better. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it because <laughs> I actually watched the episode No, but twice. I've a bunch of people have texted me being like, that was the worst. I watched it twice. I just thought they were all so good. And I thought Jada was so funny, like rolling I her thought Jada eyes was all the great. Time. I thought Jada was great. I thought Shay was like really good, she, but Shay was really grounded. So she was never going to get like be the winner. But like, and Shay I was loved good. seeing notes. I love seeing good notes come to fruition. Like, I love Janixa giving Trinity the tuck the note and then Trinity immediately like mastering her character. And same with Monet. Like, she did this weird voice, immediately one note. And then it's like, oh yeah, your performance came together. I just, I loved seeing that happen. Because usually it's like, here's Tori Spelling and Aubrey O'Day and they'll be directing you today. So it <laughs> so was true. cool. It was cool it was to like have a real director. director. And yeah. you know, I'm a Zola stan. I saw it twice in the theater. I love it. I like, I think Janix was very talented. Um, yeah. But- she was too positive. She was a little like improv second city positive. It was like, that was magical. Yeah, I, that yeah. was a lot for me. Because uh, I do love compliments, but that would even be like, we've had enough. We've had enough. Just, yeah, what do you and want I from just me? was like, I guess I, I mean, I guess it's like I do love how positive it is. I think we need it right now. I've talked about it before. I need the show to be positive right now. But like, I wanted a little bit more critique from Michelle Visage. She literally told every single one of them they were like an Oscar-winning actress, and like it just like was not that. Okay, you know what that. you need to do. This is what I'm asking you to do. Go watch season seven, the Shakespeare Challenge. Oh, well, that is and one then of the, go that watch is notoriously one of the worst. <laughs> that is historically one of the worst acting challenges ever on Drag Race. <laughs> and like when I was doing Gay's Anatomy, I remember hearing about that and being like, just don't make it a fucking Shakespeare Challenge. Like, don't make it like bad. And I was like nervous, but. Um, you know. Oh, I do need to mention something. I will be in San Diego at the mic drop August 12th and 13th. Oh, yeah. That just and I w- came to me. Yes. Go see Lisa at mic drop. We perform there and I, we had a great time. It's a very well-run club and it's newer. They have a pasta salad, so I'm happy. Yeah, it's a newer <laughs> club. They make like cute drinks that are themed. I wonder if they're going to make a bunch of like Lisa Traeger themed like drinks. It'll be fun. Another reminder, Lisa and I will be at the Montreal Comedy Festival on July 29th. I believe our show's at 4.30 in the afternoon. The link is in our bio for on Instagram. It's also thatsmessedoplive.com. You can check out any live dates we have going on. And right now it's just Montreal. So come see us there. We would love to see your little faces. Hell yeah. And the reason I remembered about the dates is because I was performing um, this week and there were four porn stars in the front row. Holy shit. It was fun. They were at the Nasty Show. And it was exciting. Wow. Did you recognize them all immediately? <laughs> well, um, no. But the person who came before me ran in and said something. And then we all kind of had our little moments. Got it. Oh, my God. This one comic guy, we were hanging out. And he annoys me pretty often. But he was like, yeah, I, you know, watching The Handmaid's Tale, I wonder, like, what kind of guy would I be in that? I go, you would be one of the bad ones. 
<laughs> and he got so, he goes, you're, I go, you would be, I don't know what, you would be one of the bad ones. And he couldn't let it go. And even 10, 15 minutes later, he goes, I really am hurt and shocked that you would say that. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm not changing what I said, so. The number of good guys in that show, there's like four of them. I mean, there's not that and many good people. It's like you are old and I already watched you watching like um, young shuffle girls on your phone and getting horned up. Like, I know who you are, dude. <laughs> you like watching young girls shuffle, okay? I know who you are. Oh my God. You're the bad guy. <laughs> you are the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a full sober person who's never drank or done drugs. So it's like you are vicious in your spirit. There's something wrong with you. Wow, I can't wait for you to tell me who this is off of off of the <laughs> mic. I've I've complained before about this person, I feel. Anyway, should we get started? We have a great episode and all of our episodes wait, are I'm they're getting beefier and beefier, so we really have to keep our intros a little bit slimmer. Oh, another wild thing. I was doing um an- another audience moment, but I was doing a show and I was pulling out to drive away from Dynasty. And I get a call from our friend Sydney going, there are these two Jewish people here. They say that they know you. And I was like, I absolutely do. And it was like people from my, from Skokie, like from <gasps> back in the day Jews. Like his parents hosted my sister's wedding shower. So you had to like, t- you turn it and get oh, back yeah, to I was like, Jews. Uh, I was like, oh, I'll park. And they're like, you don't know us. I was like, you were Benji's fucking preschool teacher. Of course I know who you are. How oh dare you speak God. to me like that? Yeah, but it was like super, super. And I did jokes about my uh, parents and stuff at that show. So I was like very, very excited. Oh, I love it. That they got Amazing. to see a little bit. So that's it. I guess boring week for a holiday week. I did read a tweet that was like going, celebrating 4th of July is like going to a sick kid's birthday party. And I did feel that. Yeah. I, I mean, I accidentally, I took the kids to um, this little kid parade in, an, in a neighboring neighborhood. It's like just a bunch of kids get together and then they just walk on the street together. It, it was so, it was so cute. But like, and then it ends with a puppet show. And I dressed the kids and myself in green. And I forgot that green was the like, fuck you America color or whatever. That's like the color for like, we're not wearing red, white, and blue today. And I was like, I did not, I mean, do, yes, fuck you, America, but not, but like also I did not mean to like dress my kids in a political color. But there we were, a family of green people and it was fun though. Um, anyway, yeah, let's get started. We have a great episode. Yes, a highly requested one. So yes. we're listening, guys. All right, today's episode is Did You Believe in Miracles? Season 23, Episode 20. 75,000 of you texted us to tell us what you thought this was based on. I hope that you're glad that we're covering it. I am very excited that we're covering it. But the title sounds like it's a hockey movie, a sports movie, the whale movie. It's like, (laughs) what are you, this is crazy. It's a really crazy title. And I have to say, like, I have no strong feelings on War and Light either way, but I am hoping that the new showrunner puts the kibosh on the fucking 24 letter titles for next season. Like they, it just makes them all sound insane. I like the old days of legacy, intent. I like the one word titles. Give me a two word title if you need. But like this shit's crazy. And you're right. This sounds, and it's, I don't know. It, it, yeah, it's a little bit too uplifting for the subject matter of this episode. So, um, this aired. And there's huge news. You know, one of the leads. Yes, this is huge. One of the leads. Her children go to school with Rosie. So huge connect when I was watching the episode, but we'll get to it. So we open this episode with an iPad 
Uh, and it's like Noah doing some kind of wild ballet recital of Alice in Wonderland. And he's like the hair and he's pointing his toes, doing a move. And we're supposed to be like, oh, Noah, but I think you know how I'm reacting. And uh, we cut out and it's live at brunch with Noah. And she's like, wow, what a blast from the past. And he's like, yeah, I found it in the cloud for a school project. And uh, he's like, I can't believe you said I was good. And she's like, you are good. And like, it's like a weird fishing for compliments thing that Noah's doing that I'm not into. And anyway, she goes, oh, there's an even older clip. Let me, and he, she grabs the iPad and then he grabs the iPad back like a teen who doesn't want their mom to see their search history and lives like, is there something you want to talk to me about? You know, because she's like a very with it mom for what she sees every day on the job. And he's like, it's a surprise for Mother's Day. Warm moment. Okay. You know what I've learned um, in this recent string of live shows and just now, you're a great impressionist. <laughs> Incredible at accents and impressions. Thank you so much. Thank that you. That was Noah. That's why he annoys me. Because I really like him, but you're right. It's like, that's not how anyone talks. Like, yeah. you're not talking like a person that I've ever met. But... Um, totally. Totally. Um, yeah, if you missed the live show, you missed me doing a Gru impression uh, from <laughs> the Minions. <laughs> and uh, maybe I'll give it to you on another episode if you guys ask for it in but the But you did a Kim Rollins. <laughs> I think you did other people. Yeah. There was just like a string of impressions. I try. I mean, I don't know if I'm like SNL material, but I, I try. I do what I can. No Chloe Feynman, I would say, but I, I do my <laughs> best. Um, and so anyway, next scene, we're at Hester Academy where a little boy is explaining his Mother's Day card to his teacher. And he's like, it's me and mommy and daddy. And then the teacher's like, okay, who's this like side reject? Isn't that your sister, Elizabeth? And he's like, Beth's away. It's been a really long time since last Sunday. She went someplace far with Luke, a grown-up who's not around relative. And mommy and daddy said she's fine, but I don't think she's ever coming back. It's like a very alarming conversation if you're a teacher and the teacher does look worried. The next thing we see is the teacher bringing Rollins and Finn into the classroom and she's explaining, yeah, the principal called the parents, but they said that Beth was in bed with the flu, but her little brother says she's been gone since last weekend. So something is just not going, something's off here, she says. And the parents are also trying to act like this Luke person is an imaginary friend of the boy and the teacher's like, he's not really like that kind of kid. So this is weird. So now we're at the parents' apartment in Stytown, which if you know New York, it's like this little collection of buildings right at um, 14th Street on the east side, right north of 14th Street on the east side, right? Isn't that Stytown? Yeah, that's where Julia's office is. Oh no, I'm thinking of Peter Cooper Village. Stytown's a little bit farther north. But it's like one of these same kind of things where it's like these village areas. It sounds familiar, but I have no, like, I don't know why I'm, it's not ringing a bigger bell. I think you have to like apply to get into them. I don't really know, but they're like these old collections of like little villages within Manhattan. And um, so this is a well-to-do family. Yeah. So they seem like they, yeah, they do well. Rollins and Finn are <laughs> in the apartment of Claire and Paul Lee. And Claire is played by Virginia Cull, whose kids do go to school with my daughter. She has twins. They're so cute. And um, I know her and I've met her through school stuff. And I was so shocked. I knew she was an actor, but I was just shocked to see her right here on my television. And she wildly played the lead in a 2011 episode called Reparations. If you guys remember this episode, it's like she gets um, assaulted and then she blames her roommate's brother. But then she's like, oh no, it's a different black guy. And then it turns out that 
it was a guy that broke into her apartment to like pay back her Nazi grandfather's raping of his grand of his mother. Like it's a whole thing. Anyway, she's in that episode from 11 years ago. So anyway, an SVU queen. And the dad here is Paul Lee, played by an actor named Reggie Lee, who has not been on any Law & Orders, but is booked and blessed, baby. Grim, all rise, prison break. He's killing it. So anyway, we I'm get I'm sure there. we'll get a message that's like, he was the lead on Broadway in Hamelot. <laughs> <laughs> he originated the role of Puss in Boots in Shrek. How dare you? Um, okay. <laughs> So Claire, the wife, is like, oh my God, what a crazy misunderstanding this is. Luke is a trusted family friend and they are on a mission trip upstate to rebuild houses for refugees. And Rollins like, okay. She's like, Rollins asks what we're all thinking, which is like, why did you straight up lie to the principal that she was sick and gaslight your son, implying that he has an imaginary friend when he doesn't? And they're all like, oopsie doodle. We should have told the truth. We just didn't want her to be judged for missing class for a church project. And it's like, what's happening? I, I, that's a weird, like, logic train for you to get on. But um, so where are they? They're in Bloomingburg, where the church housing mission is. And the, the parents had to work. So Luke was nice enough to rent a car and drive their daughter Beth up there. She's 14 and there's nothing weird about this. They're staying at the mission with all the other kids and chaperones. Um, and they're like, well, we need to reach them. And she, they're like, well, we don't let Beth sell, have a cell phone. Like, we're such good parents. We do not let Beth have a cell phone. We just let her get in a car with a man to go upstate New York for over a week. And um, Luke texted them a photo on Sunday, but then said self-service would be spotty in the woods. And they're like, okay, well, we need Luke's number. And they're like, no problem. And then Rollins is like, the school did file a report, so we are going to have to verify that she's okay. And they're like, well, you can call the mission, but they don't always pick up. It just feels like stonewalling and stonewalling. And they're like, really, everything's okay. She's going to be back by Mother's Day. Like, this is no big deal. At the precinct, Rollins Collins is giving Liv the rundown. The mission does exist, but they can't get through on the phone. Luke's number is a burner and is turned off. Sketchy, sketchy. And Liv will alert the state police, but she wants Rollins and Finn to drive up to Bloomingburg. Now Rollins and Finn are in Blooming. I want to re. I want to just point out we have not hit the credits yet. <laughs> we are in so many locations. <laughs> Rollins and Finn are now in Bloomingburg at the site of this house build or whatever. And the guy who runs the mission is like, yeah, I told you my mailbox is full because I don't want to delete people's nice messages. <laughs> what? That's so fucking weird. So his mailbox is full because, he, yeah, he doesn't want to delete anybody's nice words. Uh, I guess that's a sin against God. And he also doesn't, there, the cell reception spotty. And he's like, I, he keeps saying, I told the troopers this. Like, you didn't need to come all the way up here, NYPD. And he says, Luke is great. He called to set this up, but then they never made it up here. And they thought it might, he thought it might be COVID related that they never came. So then, all right, now we're at the bottom of this. These people are not here. They're not where the parents think they are. So what's going on? Rollins looks at Finn and goes, what are we looking at here? And Finn goes, nothing good. Finally, we're at the credits. <laughs> We've gone to upstate New York and back, and we are finally at the credits. So now we're at the top of Act 1, and Olivia— If you only watched SVU about your New York knowledge, you'd think upstate New York is just littered with cabins that are owned by pedophiles. <laughs> yes. And psychopaths. I don't think they've gone upstate for anything else. So true. So true. Just, just like— 
Jewish, men holding their families with guns. Yeah, yeah the Jews. Jewish yeah. sects where they're not allowed to see anybody, stuff like that. You know, that's upstate New York. It's very- Hunting it's, ground. Yeah, it's almost more dangerous than Manhattan if you really yeah. look at the data. Abandoned um, summer camps where wrestling coaches will take you. I mean, it's like- <laughs> So true. So true. Um, it's almost worse than Hudson U. Yeah, you um, wouldn't think there was even like, you know, a fun town like Beacon or something. Yeah, no, upstate New York is beautiful, especially like right just an hour. Hudson River Valley is like blowing up. It's a hot spot to live now. It's beautiful. You can get to the city quickly, you know. Anyway, I'm not a real estate agent for upstate New York. I don't know why I'm talking. Um, that was the one like... Not plausible thing. Did you watch the show Divorce or Divorced yes. with SJP? I didn't like it, but yes. I was fine with it, but I, I mean, I would watch anything she does, but that art gallery in this weird town in upstate New York or Connecticut, I was like, this isn't real or cool. It is Hudson River Valley where they are. And it's also, I watched it specifically for her as well. And then I just could not stand that she was married to such a full-on dolt. I was like, this doesn't make sense to me that this beautiful, perfect woman would be married to this loser. Like, I just don't get it. So it, I, divorce did not do it for me. All, all respect to my friends who wrote on it. Um, but anyway, the now they're talking. Olivia is now talking You don't to the know people that marry a loser? That are better do, than their but spouses. That are Sarah Jessica Parker level. She's like so. Successful, we know nothing so about beautiful. Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick could be a boob. I don't know. I've seen him in person and met him, and he seems like a nice man. I don't know. There's this man, twisted. this man, Thomas Hayden Church's character is like an out in your face idiot the whole time. It, it was like too. It wasn't subtle enough for me, or something. I needed him to be more subtly bad. It was yeah. like, he was too much. I could just see that they would probably had a great time when they were young. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I can see them change. like, I can see them just like, you know, taking road trips, having a good time. He made <laughs> her laugh. They got married. It was fun. And then it's like, uh-oh. And then how old are their kids in that show? They have like two kids, right? That are like teens. teens. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I guess don't watch it. We both felt eh about it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Is it still happening? I don't know. No, 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 no. Um, So now we are, I forget where we are, but we are talking to the parents and now Liv is on the case. We brought in Liv to get these people to really fucking understand what's going on. And the mom is like, something must have happened, a car accident. And Liv's like, yeah, no one matching your daughter's description has shown up at any hospitals. Do you guys know what car rental agency he used? No, of course, they know no details. She's like, let me text Luke again. And it's like, sweetie, how are you not catching on to all the sketchiness of all this? Like, text his burner as much as you want. He's probably not going to respond to you. And then Finn has to explain to them that, like, nobody legit uses a burner phone. He's just like, hey, ma'am, I don't know if you know what a burner is, but it usually means you have something to hide. And the mom's like, uh, maybe they got carjacked. Like, she truly just cannot work her brain to the idea that this guy has taken her daughter. Liv is like, does Beth have a laptop or an iPad? And she's like, just for homework, not for social media. Again, acting like giving the kid a phone or social media is so bad, but allowing this girl to be... I don't know, with this man is normal. So the dad shows Finn Beth's room and uh, he's sort of talking to Finn about how Beth is a good girl. And you can definitely tell that because she has Jesus posters hanging from her wall. And uh, they met Luke through their church, their life group, he says, which is part of their Bible study that they host. And that's how Luke and Beth 
um, met each other, and he also teaches her guitar. He's a songwriter. That's how he makes a living. Okay, you're a professional songwriter. That's how you make money. All right. I think we find out that that's not true later. Um, Ice is like, you don't think going upstate for a week plus was weird? Like, you're a dad. Dads worry about their daughters all the time. Like, what's going on? And he's like, yeah, I mean, truth be told, I've been Zooming for work 10 hours a day, and I'm like, wasn't paying enough attention. And then he's like, oh God, what did we do? Like, it's starting to hit the dad. What's up? And now over to Liv, who's with the mom, and she's like, Luke will text me back. He always does. And this is a very stabler house. There's like crosses everywhere in this house. Like Jesus is home, okay? And Wait, did you see Emily Heller's story? About the butterfly? No. (laughs) Wait, what butterfly? Oh, just in her yard. Uh, This caterpillar. Yes, yes, yes. She loves to garden. (laughs) It's like... I, I don't. It's like she was in a competition for during pandemic, going. I'm going to be the number one gardener in my community. <laughs> like she truly has like every little accessory. It's the whole yard. There's tarps. It, it's a no, wild. It's, thing. I've been over there. It's it's a full <laughs> greenhouse situation. Yeah. I'm just. But like, what was the tweet you're talking about? I guess it was like people were talking about Airbnb horror stories, and she goes, "This isn't really a horror story, but it is wild." And there was no mention of any of this in the photo or the description of the house. And when she got there, every single space was littered with a cross or like Renaissance Jesus art of like crucifixions. It was just like cross, 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 like everywhere, everywhere that you could look. And those were not in the photos? That is so wild. Yeah. (laughs) I guess. And so she does like a tour of this like wild house. (laughs) That's really funny. Um, yeah, my aunt has a lot of uh, uh, Jesus iconography in her house, and we always call it the Jesus shack when we have to stay there. We're like, it's weird. Jesus is looking at us while we sleep. So Liv is asking the mom, what do you know about Luke? And she's like, he's a godly man. He loves our family. And they're like, oh, cool. Do you have his address? Do you have his email? And she's like, no, but I think he lives in the neighborhood. I think, like, she's not even positive. Do you have any photos of him? No, he's camera shy. He's always the one taking the photos. Like, this is just getting worse and worse. And then she's like, wait, I might have something. I took a video of him at Beth's birthday and he, like, didn't know I was recording. And she's, like, giggling about, like, it's really weird. Like, it feels like she's not taking it in what's happening and that she's just being weird. And I don't know why she doesn't immediately want to kill this man. But anyway, um, back at SVU... Rollins is bringing some coffee to Caldoun, who is the um, officer from like transit police or something who who she had a little spark with in the episode I Deserve Some Loving Too, where they had to pretend to be like a mar- uh, a couple, a married couple, a green card couple or something. And then uh, Caldoun is there and they're like, yeah, this is the downside of our captains like being pals. They just move us around like chess pieces, blah, blah, blah. And Benz, she says, oh, Benson says, thanks for coming in late. So now we know that it's late and he's helping with the case. He said there's 27 Luke Davises in the city. So it's like not really helpful. They're like it, the same age range as this guy. He's like, no cell, no address. And it's like, no, this guy knows how to stay off the grid. And Caldoun's like, I really can't believe these people let their daughter go away with some dude for a week. And then um, they get the video from Benson of Luke teaching, uh, the video that the mom was talking about. And, and it's Luke teaching Beth some guitar chords. And he's like behind her, guiding her hands on the guitar, staring at her very lovingly, very creepy. And they're like, he didn't find Jesus. He found Beth. So we're getting a picture here that this guy is obsessed with this 
14-year-old girl. Outside of the church, uh, Rollins rolls up and the pastor's taking a video of, of his wife making a church promo vid, like maybe a TikTok, maybe an Instagram reel. I don't really know what their vibe is, but it's like, come worship with us. What's up? And um, this is Pastor Daniel and his wife is Molly. And they're both like, yep, nothing is weird here. Luke is way cool. He joined our ministry three years ago and he loves teens. And they're like, um, okay, cool. Do you know anything about him that could help us locate him? And the pastor's like, there's really nothing to worry about. And then his wife is like, okay, Daniel, like the jig is up. These are cops. They sound serious. We should tell them. So then in the next scene, we're talking to Beth's mom, Claire, and she's like, I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't know who Nick Pierce is. So basically we're finding out Nick Pierce is Luke's real name and he's actually the son of a wealthy family in Rhode Island. I don't think he has a songwriting career. He's got family money. Um, But the family has no idea where he is. They have not heard from him in a long time, I guess, since he started becoming obsessed with teens. Uh, The mom does not believe it. So Liv breaks it down and is like, this man is not who he told you that he was. We think your daughter has been kidnapped. And then the dad is in in another room and he's pissed. Like, okay, where is she? And Finn's like, Nick has an apartment in Gramercy. We're checking that out right now. And we're checking with rental car companies. And the dad's like, why did he take her? And it's like, I don't know, use your imagination. So... Back to Rollins and the mom. They're trying to get through to her that Luke targeted Beth, that he joined the church, changed his name, befriended your family all to get to Beth. And she's like, no, you don't understand. He was targeting me. Twist. Paul can never know. And she says, Luke and I are very much in love. Dun, so dun. why aren't you kidnapped, bitch? Yeah, exactly. It ain't you. Yeah, <laughs> it ain't you. <laughs> you're not the one. Um, So that's how we end Act 1 and what's going on here. Act 2, they're back at SVU and Carisi's there and they're filling him in. And he's like, okay, so Claire and Luke were having an affair for a year. And they're like, yes, this guy's playing the long game, seducing the mom to get to the kid. But Liv doesn't think the parents are complicit. um, And they're home at the moment. And Claire is like telling her husband what, about the affair right now. So on Beth's computer, all they found were just like emails of the two of them exchanging Bible verses. And Carisi goes, so he's grooming her, which I love. Uh, He's grooming her. Uh, Pierce rented a car from JFK a week ago and troopers found it in an overnight lot in Middletown. Key in the Dropbox. Hasn't used his credit card since. Like this guy is tying up loose ends. It is not going to be easy to find him. Carisi goes to get a subpoena for Luke slash Nick's Venmo account. Forget whose idea that was. Maybe Liv. Somebody has a hot idea to check his Venmo account. Finn and Rollins then track down this woman at a restaurant in Dumbo. And she says, I haven't talked to Nick Pierce in years. And they're like, okay, well, he Venmoed you $5,000 three years ago. So we're just wondering what's up. And she said, okay. And I think the maximum is like two or three grand. Oh, is it? I've never really Venmoed a ton. Did they switch things? I can't remember what the most is I've ever Venmoed. Maybe it's grown. I feel like I would Venmo rent. Oh, yeah. And because I've never... Well, this is my first fully legal apartment, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is like where your name is on the lease. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always in a shady situation. I mean, (laughs) I had the lease in my carbon monoxide thing. Okay, the max is... Yeah, 4999.99 per week. And that's per week, baby. All right, well... Okay, this is exciting news. Because I do remember sometimes being like, oh, you have to wait till the something. I've reached my max. 
You know, but I can't imagine reaching five grand in a week. Jeez, what was I doing? I completely remember the moment that Venmo started advertising on New York subways, and I went, what is Venmo? No one is ever going to use this. What is it? Like, I, I should never be in tech. Like, I was like, I don't understand. There's already PayPal. What is this? Like, and then now it's like, I use it seven times a day. It's like my main source of everything. Like... I can't believe how dumb I was. No, PayPal and Z- they are, I don't, it's wild when one of them does it better than the rest. Yeah. When it's like just so much better where it's like, PayPal, what were you thinking? Because PayPal's been around forever. Like, I don't, it's been around, I used to like send PayPals to like buy jeans off of eBay in like 2005, you know, like. It's the um, blockbuster of it all. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Or Annalise just said it's when Zoom got ahead of Skype. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, what were you guys doing? Yeah. You were the, it used to be I'm going to Skype someone. Totally. Before even FaceTime. So, yeah, it's like people get comfortable or they reach their max potential. Who knows? Yeah, the Zoom people are probably bathing in champagne every day. Like, I mean, they're just, they made so much money off this but pandemic, i But it was fucked I'm up, sure. remember? Like, all this stuff came out of Georgia where the elected officials put money into Zoom stocks before announcing COVID stuff. Oh, those two Georgia, the, the yes. one, Kelly Leffler, the one that Brent Sullivan says I look like. Um <laughs> He'll just send me photos of her and be like, do you not see it? And I'm like, I hate you, Brent. Stop it. Stop sending me wicked evil Republicans telling me I look Wait, like that. Wait, what's her name again? Kelly Leffler, but it's like L-O-E-F-F-L-E-R. Okay, I gotta look it up. <laughs> do they know they're bad? Like, that's what I want to know. Like, do they get off on being bad or do they think they're good or they don't care? It's just... I don't think they care. so much... I think they think this is the life Jesus has provided for me. Okay, so she explains that the Venmo for the 5,000, which was probably 499.99, she says they were dating, she lost her job, and so he offered to help her buy a car so that her daughter could get to school. Um, And they're like, well, we think he might be involved in an abduction. And she goes, let me guess, a young girl? And and they're like, "Uh, what's up? And she goes, my daughter, Eva, was 12 years old, We were supposed to spend the whole summer at his lake cabin, but Eva's father at the last minute was like, no way, and wanted Eva to spend the summer with him, and Nick dumped me the next day. But he brainwashed my daughter. Like, she, I couldn't say a bad word about him to her. Like, he was, she was obsessed with him. So this is clear grooming that, thank God, the mom got. I mean, not not really through any of her own work, but she headed it off at the pass by just, I guess, her ex-husband kind of figured it out. Well, the dad knew what was up. Yeah, yeah. The dad probably got a vibe. And they're like, do you remember where the lake house was? And she's like, well, we never went, but it was near, let's see, um, near Topper Lake off of Gentle Rain Drive. (laughs) Like, I don't remember actual places I went to three years ago, let alone places I never made it to. So this is a wild memory, but good for her. And um, now the Lees are talking to Liv and Mr. Lee is like, the most powerful act of love is forgiveness and he's going to forgive his wife's affair. So great. Good for you guys. Um, What about the lake house? You guys know anything about it? No, of course they don't know anything. And they're like, this man has been grooming your daughter for two and a half years. So there's like a lot of ways that this could go. And the mom is like, I am sure he wouldn't hurt her. Like, and the dad's like, oh my God, we just want to get her home. Like, but the mom is still just really not 
figuring out that this guy is evil. So now we're up at the cabin at Tupper Lake and there's a full state trooper NYPD crossover missioning happening as they surround the cabin. We see two pairs of muddy shoes outside. One is like a pink teen shoe and the other is like a pedophile kind of hiking boot. And they just bust down the door and they find Beth in bed in the back of the house in like a very little house on the prairie nightgown situation. And Nick is there too. And he's like, call her parents. They know she's here with me. And they're arresting. They're like putting his hands behind his back and he's hugging. She's hugging his body like, please don't hurt him. And then they go to cuff him and he's telling Beth, this is the devil testing us and all this shit. Like he's basically, you know, he's like locking eyes with her. Like, remember, I am your master. And uh, they go- Very charisma. Yes. They say to Beth, we have to take you home. And she goes, I am home. Okay. They take Nick away and Beth says, what are you doing? He didn't kidnap kidnap me. This is God's will. And Amanda's like, oh no, we have a stage five brainwashing here. So that's the end of act two. Top of act three, Benson shows up at the hospital and Rollins and her talk to the doc. And this doctor is named Dr. Sloan. That's only all she goes by. And she's been in nine episodes of SVU since season seven. She's peppered all over. She's like one season seven, one season 13, like season 20. She's all over the place. But she has um, the mom from that 70s show vibe to me. But anyway, she says Beth is fine, just a little dehydrated with bug bites, but otherwise like totally fine. Liv asked Rollins like anything about sexual assault and she said, and uh, Beth told them that all they did was hug, but she sounded very coached. She's refused a rape kit. She's refused a pregnancy test and Liv's like, well, she's 14. It's her right to decide and her parents disagree and the doctor's like, have a great time talking to the parents about that and then we're talking to the Lees and the mom really wants that rape kit and Liv is like, we cannot force her and she's like, why not? I'm her mom. I forced her to eat her vegetables. I forced her to do her homework. Just sedate her and do it and <laughs> Liv's like, okay, New York does not allow that but also very morally questionable for these very religious people. Um, and the husband is like, why don't we just test for disease and pregnancy? And Liv is like, well, we can't do that either without her consent. And the mom is like, she is not pregnant. And the husband's like, will you listen to yourself? You are still protecting this man. He kidnapped our daughter. And she's like, we don't know that. They said she's safe. And it's really, really awkward to see somebody so Yeah, but too. also, I think the reason she wants the rape kit is because of jealousy, because she loves this guy. Like, I don't even think it's about the safety of her daughter. I oh, think it's like... you think she like, just wants to prove that he didn't do anything to her? That he loves her. Yeah, you're deluded. You're not going to get the answer that you want, That's baby the Kate's. energy I get from yeah. that. Yeah, it's like, okay, I had thought about it. need to know she's pregnant or not, because I think it's... That's... Uh, wow, I hadn't thought about that, but that's interesting. Well, anyway, after she's, you know, breaking down uh, to her husband, she goes, God's will is unknowable. Okay, so you think it might be God's will that this girl is uh, with this man. It's really insane. Okay, so... In interrogation with this sick son of a bitch, and he is, he has what I find to be a very punchable face. Like, I just want to punch him the entire time I see him this episode. I'm sure some people might think that he's cute or something, but ugh, I want to kill him. And he says he loves the Lee family and he would never do anything to hurt them. And his attorney is Richard Pace, who I thought I had seen many times on SVU. He's been on one other episode. Um, he's arguing that the Lees consented to the trip and Carisi's like, yeah, not to a cabin in the woods, out of contact. Oh, wait, I took notes about him. Okay, sorry. I just remembered. Thank God you just said something. Yes. So he, so the defense attorney, 
He is Brian Ackerman from Raw. He is the Nazi from oh, Raw. Oh, fuck. I looked up the actor. Oh, he is the dad. I, I looked up the character. I looked up the character. I knew he was familiar. Yes. Um, he is um, he is Brian Ackerman, who, you know, kid is a race war. He is Rahawa or whatever. And totally. then he set up start to get uh raped. Um, so that is him. On the fandom site, you can <sighs> click on like the actor or the character. And I clicked on the character and he'd only been in one more. So I didn't even check with the actor. Oh my God. Okay, yes. Well, that's Ackerman. why I go to IMDB first usually and then I dabble in the wiki but I found I just remembered older notes I had from earlier in this episode when they're talking to those other Jesus people that are like oh we like him they're outside of the Joyce Theater that's Where's in that? Chelsea it's in Chelsea but you know our friend that's our friend's last name so I always think about it <laughs> I um, thought of it too and it has like 80s letters. When we were going to the Fire Island screening, I thought it was going to be there. So oh. I was like, oh, it's like on that street. It's on 23rd. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. I don't know why I don't know it, but um, thank but, you for yeah. pointing that out. So of course he has an asshole vibe. He played one of the worst Nazis on SVU. Yes. And, you know, he's booked and blessed and I bet he's always playing a dickhead. There's no right. way he's playing a loving father. Yeah, he has kind of mean guy face. Um, And... So, bu- 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 bu, like Willem Dafoe, you're always gonna be bad. You have sharp little yeah, teeth. Yeah, he has like bad Alan Ruck vibes to me or something. But anyway, um, he he says, yeah, you got nothing. And Carisi's like, yeah, the parents didn't consent to like a full cabin retreat without any contact. And like, why hasn't he been writing back and blah, blah, blah. And he says, oh, it's interesting you bring up um, spiriting someone away because this was a spiritual journey. And we were there planting the seeds of a new church and he's really gross and he's just spinning a bunch of like Jesus take the wheel bullshit about God directing their journey and blah, blah, blah. And the lawyer is like, okay, the girl is fine. There's no crime. And he says, uh, he says, talk to Beth. She'll give you the God's honest truth with the shit-eating grin on his face. That's what the um, that's what Luke slash Nick says. And he doesn't even, like, talk about why he changed his name or anything. We, like, don't even get into the identity switching of it all. Um, so now Liv and Rollins go to talk to Beth, and immediately she accuses them of trying to indoctrinate her. And Liv throws Rollins all the way under the bus um, and is like, um, I think maybe it's because your kids are so little that you don't really understand. And so Rollins, like, it's that thing they do where it's like, why don't you leave? and let me handle this. I think I've got like a beat on this girl. And so they, Rollins bounces and now it's just Beth and Benson. And Benson's like, I was just like you, honey. I was very mature at 14. And you know, so many of the strongest women in the Bible were also kids. <laughs> like, so crazy. And she, and Beth's like, yeah, Esther, Ruth, Mary, they ran empires. And, uh, you know, Liv's trying to get to the bottom of like, was there sex involved? And she's like, she insists, Beth insists that she and Luke are still pure. So Liv's like, okay, well, how about this vacay that you guys just took? Was that like a father-daughter thing? And Beth's like, ew, gross. He's nothing like my father. And she's like, okay, like a boyfriend, someone you're in love with. She's like, I do love him and he loves me, but not like my father. And Liv's like, okay, well, you're old enough to make choices about sleeping together or getting married. And she's like, well, I can't tell you about that. She says, Luke says no one will understand God's truth will be judged. And Liv is like doing a really great job manipulating this brainwashed teenager. <laughs> and uh, Beth says, Luke's plan is God's plan. Jesus says, I will come again. And that day has come. Like Beth thinks that she is literally 
in a relationship with Jesus. And it's, that's wild. Um, the second coming of Jesus. So back at the precinct, Carisi's like, guys, what do we have here? Like without a rape kit or any admission of sex, this is pretty tough. And Rollins goes, yeah, not for lack of trying. Apparently I'm better at talking to psychopaths than teenage girls. And it's like, yeah, Rollins, you can't like flirt your way through with a straight teenage girl. They don't really care. They don't respond to your main, your number one tool, which is I might fuck you. And so Khaldun says there were no condoms at the cabin. Nothing to imply sex was found there. Um, they're still waiting on fluids from like the sheets and Carisi's like, that won't even be enough if the, if it comes up positive. And Khaldun mentions that he was, uh, the guy was ready to be there for at least three months. He had all food and medical supplies for three months. He was ready to hunker down with his little teen bride. Um, at arraignment, Carisi's trying to get this guy remanded, but his lawyer, this asshole, this former Nazi, no, just kidding, um, is arguing that he has no record and that this guy is a member of the church, so he should should be released on his own recognizance. And when the when Carisi argues, uh, the lawyer goes, actually, my client is the victim. The Lee family seduced him into a life of sexual deviance. And he says he has evidence and his client is willing to testify that, dun-dun, Mr. Lee forced him into demeaning sexual acts that left his client open to being blackmailed. And he's going to motion to drop the charges. So this is fucking crazy. You thought he was going to maybe turn his affair with the wife around. Now he's alleging an affair with the husband. This is a nuts episode. Top of act four. Leaving court, Claire is like, how can they do this? How can they just make up these lies? And Rollins like, why don't you come with me to go get some water? And then that's obviously so the guys can get the truth out of Mr. Lee. So now Paul is sitting with Carisi and Finn and he's like, wow, I thought he was ashamed, as ashamed of this as I was. And they're like, well, what happened? Then first we bounce outside to Claire and Rollins and Claire's like, they're getting coffee. And Claire's like, if anything happened to, to Paul like that, he would have told me. But Rollins is like, well, you actually kept a ton of shit from your husband, didn't you? She's like, well, I didn't want to hurt him. And she tells Rollins the whole story about how their marriage changed Everything changed a little bit after Elijah was born. You know, I think they went through a bit of a dry spell. I told Nick slash Luke everything. He knew I missed being intimate with Paul. And and then Rollins goes, he knew you hadn't had sex in a while. And the wife just jumps to, my husband is not gay. He's not. And then she like is like, thanks for the coffee and takes off. I I didn't even know that that's what Rollins was implying, but here we go. So back to Paul. He's explaining what went down that they were breaking down the stage after a service, loading the truck, and they were also loaded themselves. They had had they had, had a bunch of drinks. He said he doesn't drink much. He never felt like Nick had any friends, and so it was his birthday, and he felt like he couldn't say no. And so they sat in the theater talking about their childhood, drinking. It got intense. They hugged. Then he said... Nick slash Luke put his hand on his leg. He unzipped his pants and he said, I guess I just went with it because it was easier than embarrassing him. Then Paul says that Luke slash Nick swears he isn't gay, but he just felt close to me and we both agreed not to tell anyone because it was a sin and we prayed together. So hearing that from the from the dad, you're like, okay. And then the, the cops go, so it was just that one time? And he goes, no, it was once or twice after that too. <laughs> like, 
So all those times, it was easier than embarrassing him to just let him jerk you off. Like, I don't know, dude. Like, I'm starting to feel like maybe you have a bisexual thing going on here, which is fine. So Paul goes, does Claire have to know? And Carisi's like, bro, she's going to find out. Anything a defendant can use against you, they will use. So this is all coming out on the table. I hope there's nothing else. Back at SVU, Khaldun, Benson, and Rollins are kind of summarizing everything going on. They're like, this guy is sophisticated. He gained their trust. He used the relationship with the mom and dad as insurance policies so he could target Beth. And Benson's like, he must have done this before, but there's no case with this ex-girlfriend and her daughter, and he just knows how to pick his victims. Like, the the ex-girlfriend is not going to, like, turn this into a whole thing because, A, it didn't really get followed through with, and B— she would be, might be worried about losing custody. So he he probably knew that when he picked her. So now Carisi's in conference with Assface and his lawyer. And he's like, he's, he goes, they get really close up with him with the camera. And he goes, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Book of Galatians. I I cannot think of anything more douche-chilly than like Bible verse quoting. Like I hate it so much. Like it just, I'm like, oh, you like think you're smart and cool because you memorize the Bible. Yikes. And um, it's like, yeah, we want this guy to fuck off. And Carisi goes, What are you Bible explaining to me now? And I really like that. And he goes, No, I'm just explaining that a lot of uncomfortable truths have emerged. And it's like, so you are. Like you just are doing exactly what he just accused you of. And anyway, the lawyer is like, Where are we on dropping the charges? And Carisi's like, We're nowhere on that. It's not gonna happen. And Lick Luke Nick won't lick. I should just call him Lick. Luke Nick will not admit to any kidnapping or child endangerment and Carisi is not down for a deal. And then Bible Boy goes, we're all on the same side here. We all want what's best for Beth. And Carisi's like, do tell. Like, what is your idea of what's best for Beth? And he's like, and his idea of what's best for Beth is the Lees allowing him to marry her. He wants to protect her till death do us part. So now this guy's acting like it's completely fine for like, I think he's 23, 24. This 23-year-old, 24-year-old man to just be wanting to marry a 14-year-old. And Carisi's like, okay, I'm going to go throw up now. See you in court. Can't wait to hear you talk about marrying a kid on the stand. Bye. And then Carisi is at SVU talking to the gang now. And he's like, we're kind of fucked. This guy won't take a plea. Beth won't testify. I'm worried he might read as a crazy religious zealot on the stand, and so might the Lees. So, and the Lees are refusing to go to therapy. They won't see an outsider, but they're having supper with their church group. I truly hate the word supper. I don't know how you feel, Lisa, but I really, Agreed. really hate yeah. it. I yeah. hate it so much. Um, yeah, they're it, drinking milk with dinner. Yeah, with, yeah. If you're calling you're it supper. supping. Like, what is? I hate it. Like, it reminds me of like old books I had to read for English class. Anyway, um, Carisi says he might need Rollins and Liv to testify. And before he leaves, he's like, I'll see you tonight. And uh, Rollins is like, you will. And Khaldun catches it because it's very obvious. And Carisi's, and uh, he goes, how are your kids? Carisi seems like he's great with kids. And she's like, oh, did he say something to you? And she's like, uh, he goes, I'm a detective. I figured it out. And it's like, you guys just made a plan in front of his face. It's not that hard. Um, and then he goes, so do him and Captain Murphy get along, which is the father of her second kid, if you don't remember. And uh, he goes, there's a Hebrew phrase his dad always told him, and it's something in Hebrew that he says, and it translates to, you don't choose your family. I mean, okay. Suddenly, Rollins gets a text that Beth, I mean, I don't know what he's what the point is here. Um, 
suddenly Rollins gets a text and Beth is missing again. Um, and so now they're at this restaurant and they're like, and the mom's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. We were having dinner with the Bible club and they were all loving on her and she seems so joyful. And then she went to the bathroom and she disappeared and a waitress saw her leave out the front door. But then they talked to the waitress and this woman is really excited to have her first acting role on SVU. She's just like, I don't know. I like told her she looked pretty. I don't, I mean, I should I have stopped her? Like, it was really funny because she tells them nothing. Ultimately, she has no information. She's like, it's possible she changed in the bathroom. She said she was late to meet someone. I mean, we could have we could have deduced that she was going to meet Nick Luke somewhere. But uh, the, the waitress is like, I didn't know she was running away. It's really, this is not about you. Apparently, Beth asked... Molly, the pastor's wife, to relay a message to Luke slash Nick. And it's 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay any other foundation than that which has been laid. Corinthians is constantly, if you've gone to Christian weddings, the only romantic verse like in the entire Bible. So it's all you ever hear when you're at weddings and readings. And basically, Rollins and Liv are like, white dress, by Corinthians, this girl thinks she's getting married. I guess this is from some kind of bridge over troubled water situation. And so they're like, okay, maybe near a bridge. And then Finn's like, she had the Brooklyn Bridge on her screensaver. It's one of those things where they're like, bada bing, bada boom. They like get to the answer very quickly. So now they're under a bridge. I think maybe they're in Dumbo, like like under the bridge there. And, um, or actually that's the Manhattan Bridge. So maybe it's a different, but they're under the Brooklyn Bridge and they find this fuck in a white suit trying to marry a child. And she's like, excuse me, we're exchanging vows. And they arrest him because he's violated an order of protection. And she says, we're the chosen ones. And she says, I'm carrying God's baby. Okay, twist. Done, done. Yeah. So now at SVU, they're showing the video of her saying that to her parents. And finally, Claire gets what's going on. Like, we are literally almost to the end of the third act of the show. Oh, no, no, no. We're we're halfway through the fourth act. And this woman's finally like, oh, okay, this guy did knock up my teen daughter. This is fucked. And, um... She's finally figuring out that he was using her and Paul to get to Beth. He's obsessed with her. She's obsessed with him. And they're like, she'll be 15 next month, right? That's what Liv says. And then she goes, there might be one way. I love Liv knows the the laws all over the country and knows how to do this. So now in the next scene, Claire takes Beth on a walk. And Beth says she wants to keep the baby and she wants to marry Luke when she's old enough. And her mom's like, okay, well, in Maryland, you know, you can get married when you're 15 and we could give you permission. And her mo- and Beth is like, oh my God, this is like crazy. But are also, you so like, who came up with this law? I cannot believe it is written in a law. If you're pregnant and 15, you can get married. Like this is specific. Is it even, is it even based on the pregnancy or is it just at 15, you can get married with parental consent? Oh, I thought it had to do with the baby too. They just need proof of the pregnancy. Maybe that was a lie. Oh, that could, you're right. You're right. They do say that. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it if there's pregnancy. Why would that yeah, be but the like, law? That's what I mean. It's like what perverted pedophile rapey yeah. Congress guy came up with that. And then they're like, yep, agreed. Ew, Marilyn, get your shit together. That's disgusting. Like, you can't marry a 15-year-old regularly, but if you knock her up first, you can. You can. You can. Then you can have her, you know? You planted your flag, so you you can have her then. Um, That's so gross. So anyway, the mom says, we could give you permission, and Beth is, like, ecstatic. She's like, you would really do that? And she's like, the mom's like, yeah, I just hate that we're fighting all the time. And, um, yeah, they just need proof of the pregnancy. 
And Beth is like, oh, um, okay, I got to ask Luke. And she's like, well, we can't really do that because of the order of protection, but why don't you and me just go get this done and then it'll be all, you'll be all good to go and marry your dream, be- your dream guy. And Beth is like, this is amazing. I prayed for this. And they embrace. And the mom says, I love you, Beth. And then in the next scene- And it's a great acting performance because you can tell the mom is struggling to do this, but knows she has to and is convincing. But like, yeah, doing a lot. No, she's great. She's really good in this. And um, in the next scene, uh, she and her husband are with Carisi and, and Benson and playing the tape. Uh, and so Carisi's like, yeah, this guy's going to get raped too, for sure. The fetus de- DNA matches his. His lawyer will never let this go to trial with the DNA match. Um, and they're going to tell Beth tonight. And they're going to raise the baby as their own. And they're going to work on repairing their marriage and pray that Beth forgives them. I mean, they're going to have to put her into a full deprogramming like camp or something. Like she is so far, two and a half years since you're like 12, 11 and a half, no, 12 probably, they're going to have to really deprogram her. And Benson gives them a, you'll get through this. And I hope so. And that's the last we see of the Lee family. We end the episode with a Mother's Day brunch with Benson and Noah, just as we started the episode. More meals with Benson and Noah. And he gives her this basic-ass collage, and it's like 10 pictures of himself and then two pictures of them together. And it's like, God, Noah, even this. And of course, she's choked up, and to her, it's the best gift ever. And they hug, and Benson's like, please don't get brainwashed by a religious freak, my little sweetheart. And then that is Dick Wolf, baby. And usually the episode has to add more twists and turns and wild things. But actually, the real story is even wilder than this episode. I can, I am so excited to hear wait. your take on this. I can't <laughs> wait. We'll be right back. So I definitely remember when this documentary came out and it was the talk of the town. I mean, everyone was obsessed. And for some reason, I didn't watch it. And I got the gist from everyone. And I was like, whatever. And these people do look fully different than what I pictured in my head hearing all the stories of this case. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't realize they were going to be like truly classic Midwestern looking people. Like, I thought it was going to be just like... Listen, I had my judgments. So, <laughs> yeah, I basically just watched Abducted in Plain Sight. And what a joy it really was. Okay, so it came out in 2017 on Netflix. And it's about a pedophile obsession. The creep in this crime is, like, fully in love with a kid. Um, and he knew this little girl was what he was searching for. This happened in Pocatello, Idaho. And then the mom during this is like, you know, it was the best neighborhood. You wouldn't lock your doors. And it's like, why is everyone so proud of not locking their doors? It seems like everyone was getting (laughs) robbed, raped, beaten, killed. Like, lock the door. It's okay. It's like truly such a trope for every story. It's like, you don't lock your doors. And then whenever you say that, you're fucking get murdered. Although I will say I grew up not locking our doors because we had like nothing worth stealing. But I didn't really think about the fact that we did have a lot of kids you could have taken. (laughs) Lock your door. It doesn't mean you're in a bad part of... It's like normal basic stuff. I'm psycho about it now. Jared will forget to lock the door all the time. And I'm like, lock the door. Lock the door. (laughs) Like... 
Well, Sam J has a funny joke and it's like you lock the door when there's pussy in the house. And so <laughs> I think we've talked about this on this podcast before. I've never heard that. That's funny. Yes. So um, so the girl who was, you know, this pedophile's obsession was Jan Broberg, and she's the oldest sister. And then Marianne and Bob are the mom and dad. And she describes the parents' traditional sweet parents. It is what they looked like, I guess. Um, the mom was a stay-at-home mom, and she ironed a lot. <laughs> that was her top quality was she was an ironer. And the dad was, which I think is cool, was a florist, a flower shop um, owner for 40 years. And she says, she was very loved and that she felt listened to. Then the other sisters are Karen Campbell and uh, Susan Broberg. So those are the sisters. And then the bad guy's name is Robert B. Birchtold. And they called him B at times. And I'm going to like interchange everything. So the mom met this guy, Robert Um, June 1972, and they met at church. And the mom led music and she... um, saw family she didn't know and she described them as very nice to her family and they had five kids uh, the wife was Gail very quiet but they did become friends and the guy was like so, so friendly extra friendly effervescent they said like I don't know if I've ever met one effervescent person in my fucking life okay <laughs> I don't know what that even like what are we talking about here yeah that is a real compliment though Yeah. And they became really good friends. And the dad was like, yeah, we had a lot in common. But the only things they had in common was that they owned a business and had a family. And it's like, (laughs) that's truly millions and millions of people. Yeah. And then they were both LDS. So put them on the Salt Lake City Housewives. They are Latter-day Saints. And this all started with just a simple fruit basket. (laughs) <laughs> and um, the like the kids, because basically everyone had a best friend. The mom was friends with the mom, the dads. There was all these kids, and everyone was friends. And then this B guy started taking their kids to school, and he became a fun dad guy and played puzzles and games, and they all had a lot of fun. And but they noticed the attention was mostly on Jan, and that was quite obvious. And they call and he would call her Dolly, which. I think is sick. Um, But yeah, he loved her so much and he took tons of photos of her. Like, I would immediately be like, bye. Like, but he loved taking photos of just her because it's like he wasn't even hiding it. That's what's so wild about it. He was not hiding um, his obsession. The parents said that the special attention towards Jan did annoy them, and the mom called it disturbing, yet no action was taken. Um, because And Jan said, that was like my second father. I trusted him. I felt safe, and I felt like one of his children. Um, complete trust. And that's why the rights attack on drag queens and all these things are so stupid because it's like the people that are molesting your kids are your friends. So she remembers sleepovers all the time at the Birchold's place. And one time they were all sleeping on a giant trampoline and she woke up with her underwear around her ankles and he was lying next to her. And he was like, oh, you were tossing and turning a lot. And um, they probably just slid down and she believed it because the idea of anything else would be insane. Like she just wouldn't believe that he would harm her. And that's like a common theme in this is very naive people like I don't get it Um, like they didn't even know what being a pedophile was like what Okay, so October 17th, 1974, this guy, Robert, called the mom and was like, I want to take Jan horseback riding, which is erotic already. Like, that's like a date. And then she wanted to go and was super jazzed. And the mom was hesitant, but Jan just kept begging and begging. So the mom was like, fine, go. (sighs) 
he gave her what he said was an allergy pill. And she passed out fast, doesn't remember getting there, driving the pill. And she doesn't remember anything in the pill is added shady vibes because in, in June 1973, so like a little over a year before this horseback riding kidnapping, Jan went to a Birchold family vacation in Seattle and he told them, um, like he told the parents a lot of weird stories like that she kept rocking during dinner and saying weird things and going in and out. And it was an excuse for him to take her to her room. And she did tell her sister she remembers seeing him naked on that trip to Seattle. So he would drug her and it was confirmed later that it was sleeping pills. And he would say, take your allergy pill or this vitamin. And she was just taking this random man's pills and they were sleeping pills. And then he'd be like, oh God, she's so weird at dinner. I'll take her to her bed. And then that. So the horseback riding thing, it's 9 p.m. He's not back. And then Gail comes over, you know, Robert's wife, and she's super worried, but she's like, don't call the cops. And because she didn't want to upset Gail, she didn't call the cops. And it's like, your daughter is missing. Fuck yeah. Gail. What are yeah. we talking about? Yeah. Wild. This is like the politeness and the this Midwest. I mean, this is Idaho, but it's this Midwest vibe that's like, what, what do you mean you're scared to offend this bitch? Mm-hmm. What? So they waited. Now, they waited Thursday, Friday. Saturday morning finally came, and she called the FBI, and they were like, well, we're closed. It's the weekend, but call this number in Montana, and they'll hit you up. And she didn't do it. She just didn't want to be a bother. Your daughter is missing. So they waited. They kept waiting. And um, so Ellen's like, aren't you stressed your kid is gone? So day five is when they call. October 22nd, 1974. But they don't just call 911. And I don't understand that. Like, I know we're ACAB, but why call directly to the FBI? Maybe because they knew he took her to a different state or something? I don't know. They don't seem that... I Yeah, I'm just like confused why they immediately went to the FBI. Yeah. Um, It doesn't make sense. But... And let's say something bad's not happening. Like, in the pit of this, their stomach, do they think it was something bad? Because if a car is flipped or there's an accident, like, why wouldn't you call 911? Yeah, yeah. Like, if something happened to them, why wouldn't you want to get them right. help? So they must have known. Like, I just don't get it. Or, And was Gail in on all of this? <sighs> Pete Welsh, he is the lead FBI special agent on the case. And um, he was an agent for six to seven years before this kidnapping happened. And he was so confused because they kept denying it was a kidnapping, like in the episode. And he's like, um, he took your kid. And so <laughs> they went to talk to Gail and Gail finally spilled the beans that he did have a motorhome and a storage unit. Guess what? Motorhome is gone. Then they found his car in a state park, keys in the engine. And then the side door was kicked out open and there was blood on the driver's door. So something was happened, but there's blood on the window, window broken out from the inside out. What's happening? Lots of, lots of blood. Um, so something must have happened. And they only found one set of footprints. So he probably carried her, whatever. So, and it led, there were tracks of a mobile home. They knew he had Jan. There was a nationwide search. The search went out for weeks and there was no sign of anything, no leads at all. So the Brobergs said that they did feel supported by their friends and neighbors who also could not believe that this happened. And they all believed that he would not hurt her. But the FBI Walsh man talked to a lot of people in Pocatello who told him, yep, he is definitely like a pedophile. He has an infatuation with young girls. His brother, Joe, even said that 
Bob, but we'll call him Robert because Bob's the dad. I just can't believe there's two Bobs in this story. Um, <laughs> so his brother Joe was like, oh yeah, he was always a sexual pervert and pedophile. He started messing with her sister when she was six and he was 12. So that means he's been getting a lo- away with pedophilia for decades and decades and no one did anything. Ay, ay, ay. He was reprimanded by the High Council of the Church of LDS um, and they ju- in January of 1974, but they just counseled him and they thought that would be enough. Um, And then he was sent away to some therapy in California. But when he returned from this therapy, he told the Brobarts that he was being treated for the abuse he faced as a child and that he had had like intercourse, rape, whatever you want to call it, with his aunt when he was four. So he was raped by his aunt when he was four. He called it intercourse. And... I don't know why he would have to tell them this information. And then he said that part of his therapy was to spend time alone with his daughter, with their daughter. So he is like, yeah, you could call the doctor if you want him to explain. This guy was obviously discredited and a quack and like not a real doctor. And they, he was like, you can call the doctor to talk to them. And the dad was like, oh, no, it's cool. You can go hang out with our daughters alone because a shrinking California told you to do that. What? So he went to lay down by Jan and they were uh, not comfortable with him doing it, but they thought, hey, it's part of his therapy. He's got to do it. So he ended up sleeping in bed with her four times a week for six months up until the day she was taken. And how old is Jan at this point? I don't know. A preteen? Okay. 12 to 14? I have no idea. But like, what the fuck? What, like... Why would this therapist even know about you guys and all of your daughters? Why would why would he have to listen and lay next? It's just... Yeah. I wonder how much groundwork and manipulation was already put down here. And it was the FBI guy's first pedophile case, so... And even in the FBI, he said they were always taught about stranger danger and not, like, pedophiles like this. So this was very new to him, and it's like... Still, people do not realize it is people that you know. Yeah. Um, but he said that this guy made his skin fucking crawl. Um, and he also found out, the FBI guy also found out that he tried to get two other girls, but their parents cut him off. And then he found Jan. And after that, that was his number one goal was to seduce her. And a neighbor is quoted saying that he would be super nice, like he's super nice to you, then he does favors for you, he builds trust, and then uses that against you. And that's what a neighborhood guy said. Um, But everything he did was to be with her, and his pattern is destroying everything in his way to get to her. Everything was about Jan. Yet the parents said they didn't have an inkling at all for his sexual feelings to Jan. Like, absolutely not, even though he was requesting time alone to lay next to her. Fucking fucked up. It's so fucked. Like, I bet it's so scary to be around this guy and just see him fucking work. Because I think I know psychopaths and sociopaths, but this, like, I wonder what, I wonder. So he understood that to target Jan, he also had to target the parents. And he knew he had to destroy Marianne and Bob. So, and they fell into a trap that they never saw coming. So we're going back to 1972. Um... And it's two years before the kidnapping. The mom gets a call from Robert and is like, hey, he's at the furniture store. He's like, I don't have time to make lunch. Can you bring me a sandwich? Again, what are you, what are we talking about here? <laughs> I know this is the time before delivery, but like you couldn't get, you have a wife. 
Why are you asking someone else to bring you sandwiches? So she thought it was fine. Like, all of this behavior is so startling to me. But he, she started bringing sandwiches for him. And then he began um, saying exciting things to her. He was flirting with her. Yeah, like, I her. bet it was flirtatious. I bet it was like, your sandwiches are better than my wife's sandwiches. Would you make me one? You know, like, I bet he was, like, creepy from the get, like, yeah. getting in with the mom. And he was flirty, flirty. She, you know, he made her feel good about herself and she was attracted to him. And that's how that, okay. So she knew it was wrong, you know, but they went to a church function in Utah and they rode into the mountains and they started kissing and there was second base and they hooked up and she thought about it all the time. And she, and yeah, she was into it. And now we have Bob's story with Robert. Um, And this episode is so close to reality, except reality gets even more wild. Um, So one day, Robert went from his furniture store to this flower shop. This is like little busy town. Like their jobs aren't even real jobs. (laughs) Richard Scarry town. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, he was like, are you free? Like, we got to go for a ride. I'm just, I'm having a tough day. And so they parked and he said, I can't stand my wife and I need to have sex. And then he was rock hard. So he asked Bob to give him a hand job and he did. Wow. Um, The dad does cry thinking about it. So I feel really bad, but he's ashamed. Um, And that he broke the trust and fidelity with his wife was the worst thing he could have done. I would, I would maybe say letting a grown man sleep with your daughter is more wild than this. Yeah. So yeah, Birchold and voice recordings in the doc said he started a gay relationship with the dad to have access to Jan and and he wanted to be around her. So he played them perfectly. He tore down their defenses to get them out of the way. And now we're back to 1974 and this is what Jan remembers of disappearing and what was going on while everyone was just like chilling out, making sure Gail's okay. She like really has it together in the doc, right? Like she's just like, I don't know. I was like, really like, respect to you. Like, you've gone through this like horrible, and she's like just fully giving you the facts and is like, can you believe this? Like, yeah, she cried a couple times, but yeah, totally together. They've really put a lot of work into it. And yeah, she even says, she goes, our family is doing pretty good if you take into account everything that we had been through and stuff. Um, So she woke up that day and she could feel she was moving, but she was laying on a bed. And she was already in the motorhome. And basically her ankle and wrists had leather straps on them. So she couldn't move. And that's the worst. And then she heard a monotone voice that kept talking to her. And it was an intercom. And basically it was aliens talking to her. And she was kidnapped by a UFO. And she felt it, believed it. And it was happening to her. She was in and out of sleep. And then she woke up again and her restraints were off. And the aliens through this little intercom box had told her that she was part alien and her biological father is not her father. But her father is from this... uh her, her real dad is an alien. And because of Jesus and religion, she bought into it because Joseph and her dad weren't like, whatever. But I thought religious people don't believe in aliens. So the fact that religion helped her believe in this alien, like God, baby, fake situation, and her dad was Joseph. Okay, 
Um, and the maybe mission- it's because teens are sometimes doubting. Like at that time, like you're sometimes you're doubting your religion a little bit. If you grew up in a religious family, when you get to like teenage, and maybe it was like, okay, here's the real truth. It's aliens, and she's like, I knew something else was out there. Like I don't know. No, she compared her dad to Joseph. Like it truly, like she credited oh, okay. like why she believed in this dad stuff because of Joseph and like the mother Mary or whatnot. But yeah, I agree. Wouldn't it be like, oh, I guess everything I've been taught is a lie. There's aliens. Yeah. (laughs) Listen, if this was the weirdest, I mean, this is the weirdest twist. I feel like, you know, I understand. Like the alien twist, like this guy is diabolical. Like truly diabolical. Um, So the mission was that this child had to save the alien planet uh, by the time she's 16. And if she can't do it, they will use her sister, who is also half alien. And then they said her male guy was on the couch and it was B. And she felt relief. Like instead of being like, oh, great, who do I have to like fuck to continue the alien race? She was like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's someone I love and I trust. I wasn't alone. He was covered in blood. He was beat up. He looked dead to her. So she's crying. She's shaking. They're waking up. They're like talking about it. And they are now like gonna, they're committed to the mission together. And he said that he saw white light out of the sky and it started to shake. And he also knew about the mission. So they had to have a baby. And that's that. The aliens did tell them that. She knew it was strange, but she felt like, whatever, I'm an alien, so I'm strange. I'm not supposed to be normal. And she believed it absolutely. And I don't know how you can't, like, of course. You're, yeah. like, tied up. It's kind of like with Colleen Stan and the— That's what I was thinking, The that group. The organization? But yeah, the organization. The, the, the corporate—what uh, was it called? I forgot. It might have been just the corporate. It was something, like, very basic. Yeah. But, and we all know how all of this stuff happens. And she was, she had no concept of time or anything because she was being drugged all the time. Um, And then now it's November 20th, 1974. It's day 35. And his brother Joe gets a call and Psycho Bob is like, listen, I'll come back and I'll bring her back. But Marianne, the mom, needs to get written permission for us to come back into the States and get married because we're married in Mexico. And he said that the age of marriage is 12 in Mexico. It's now 14, I checked, but 12? So Joe called the parents and told them the message and they were like, what? No, but that was the ultimatum. They're only coming back if they can marry in the US. And they were like, we would never fucking do that. So the brother had to take it into his own hands. And I go back and forth of like liking the brother and not liking the brother. Like he's a badass, but at the end of the day, he's like, ah, you know, my pedophile brother, what are you going to do? But then he's also like, I got to get him. Also not to bring logistics into it, dude, but you do have to divorce your current wife before you marry your teen love. Like you have a wife. Oh my God. You can't just get married again. (laughs) So the brother contacted the FBI, tapped his phone, and then um, Robert gave away all of his info. He's in Mancelon, Mexico. They traced it to a hotel. And the brother was like, I was nervous he was going to fucking kill me, but I'm glad I did the right thing. So that's, you know, that's what I mean. The brother is, he's a likable figure. The Mexican police came to the motorhome, kicked it down, stuffed them into a car. Jan was scared. They took him to prison. And then because he gave a gold ring to a guard, she was able to talk to him. And this guy is so fucking genius. He is truly an evil genius. He told her, listen, um, the aliens said this. And the aliens said, you cannot tell anybody about these four things. Do not tell anyone about these four things. One, you can't tell anyone about us. 
You can't tell anyone about the relaxing pills. You can't tell anyone about the mission. And you can't tell anyone about any sexual experiences that they have had. And then he told her, do not have contact with any other men, including your dad. And if you do anything different or tell anyone or walk away, your sister will go blind. Your dad will be removed. And then we're going to take your other sister to have our alien baby. And also, if you say anything, you will be vaporized. Like your spirit won't even exist. Hocus pocus style. Cease to exist. Dust. And it kept her obedient because she said she was, like, really into the afterlife. Um, So the parents flew to bring her home. They were so happy to see her. But she was just like, what about B? What about B? And they're like, we don't give a fuck about B. The FBI can have him. She's like, why did you call the FBI? I'm fine. We were on vacation and nothing happened. Um, The parents were like, we're going home. And the dad just, like, saw it wasn't wasn't the same Jan that he knew. Like, something had changed deeply in his child. She also wouldn't sit next to him on the plane and he she just, you know, he she got direction to not be next to any dad and she just learned that her dad's not her dad and you know, she's going through a lot. And uh he so the dad turned to Marianne and said, "I don't think our problems are over." And boy, was he correct. <laughs> This is where we could have added an ad if we were Trixie and Katya. Um just jam pack <laughs> jam pack. <laughs> The Brobergs then sent the marriage certificate back to Mexico with instructions for the marriage to be annulled. Then this guy came back to the States, was indicted by a grand jury on kidnapping charges. Jan was checked out by a physician who said that her hymen was intact and no trauma or sexual abuse had taken place. So that's good news. And what was wild is she talked about none of it. She was just like, I went parasailing. Um, She denied any kidnapping or he did anything bad and she did not share any of the truth that had happened to her. Um, All she did was think about him and the mission and, like, she needed to get away from her fucking family. The FBI told them, do not talk to Gail or any of the kids. Stay away. And they did not do that. Like, so Christmas Eve of all days, Gail comes to the door to speak to Bob alone and blackmails him and says... If you don't sign these affidavits and sign everything, we'll expose the dirty laundry and that you're gay with Robert. So Gail is in on it, or is Gail abused and manipulated too? Probably. Not sure. And I wonder how he treated his kids. Yeah. And I wonder why they were like, okay, I guess he likes this girl more. I mean, I have yeah, dad's gone so for a many months questions. on a vacation with the neighbor girl. Like, completely. I need bizarre. another documentary. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. gone with this other kid. I need another doc um, about what was happening with Gail and those five kids while all of this was taking place, <laughs> or if it was like with the John, what like Lithgow Dexter, where the family's like, good riddance, he's gone. We don't have to be abused by him in this right, house. Right. So anyways, so Bob, and this is what pisses me off. They were like, well, we can't let that happen. So he chose his his embarrassment over the safety of his daughters. And I understand it's like a high stress situation and I don't want to be acting like blaming the victim, but like you are more concerned with people finding out you gave a dude a hand job than the safety of your daughter. And I know he's struggled with that his whole life. I'm not here to make him feel worse. He's very sad about what Mm -hmm. happened and what his part in that he played in all of this. And, but it just seems like such a why. And that, but that's religion. It's like people kicking gay kids out of their house. It's like, it's just unnatural. For you to go against your kid is unnatural and you need to question whatever you're in. Yeah. Um, So they signed all these papers to like drop the charges. 
Um, they said she wasn't taken by force or against her will and was never uh, confined against her will and that they had Bob's consent to leave. And so they had to shut the case down. The FBI was, guy was so pissed. He's like, they're crying to me about their daughter. I'm giving up time away from my family to help them. And they just walk in like, never mind, let's drop it. So FBI guy is fucking pissed. And the general public was mad at her too. Everyone fucking hated this family now. And thank God, a federal judge overruled the motion of dismissal on the kidnapping count. Um, There are no witnesses, and they stomped all over the case. It was dead in the water. The trial was postponed, and he was released on his own recognizance. So that's everything that happened. And then he moved to Utah to, like, work on his brother's dealership. Gail stayed back with the kids. He'd come back every weekend, but he was saving money in Utah. And uh, I wonder if he went to Utah to have multiple wives. I wonder if that's kind of part of it. Mm. And then obviously he was amazing at selling cars. He's the most manipulative man in the world. So the brother was like, oh, he sold those cars. (laughs) And everyone was like nice to him at the church and everything was just nice. You know, everyone pretended like nothing's gone. Then Jan sees him again in her dark bedroom downstairs. And the little box woke her up and the aliens talked to her and he appeared again, lock your doors. And he came in and earlier, I didn't write this down, but her and her sister shared a room and then Robert volunteered to build a wall and give them each their own room because he was such a handy guy. So he straight up like built a wall between her and her sister physically, metaphorically, spiritually, in every way. And they, like, let him do that. So she had her own room in the basement. The aliens talked. He came in. They talked about the mission. And she continued to communicate with him and did whatever she was told to do. And she would get notes in school with directions on where to go and how to get out and, like... and like she would run to pay phones and he and he would call and there was a lot of love letters in between them and she was replying everyone was replying she thought he was his, her sweetheart she truly loved this man and um she, and then she like shifted from loving him as a father to loving him as a man which you know not really natural but she started to tell her mom that she wanted to marry him and they wanted to have kids together and she felt in love and committed to him hardcore now we're at spring 1975 the mom went to meet robert at the motorhome and they talked and then obviously they fucked so everyone just wants a piece of the sky so the mom and him started holding hands and then fucking and he's like we can all just have a great life together i just need to get divorced and then she started banging him for eight months oh my god and felt in love with him too and during the same time... I've watched we, this documentary, but just having you re-explain it to me, I keep being like, oh my God, like it's, I'm hearing it for the first time. Well, it came out like now, like four or five years ago. Yeah. But also, yeah, I just remember hearing about it. It really took over and I didn't even watch it. And I knew like, ah, he got the whole family. And so yeah. it was, I'm, it was an honor to be able to watch it and recap it. So... Thank you so much for that. And so during the same time that he was having this affair with the mom, he was also spending time alone with Jan and committing sex crimes. Okay, so then the creep, Robert, called the mom and dad and revealed the affair and the gay affair. So like he then spilled the beans to Marianne and Bob to destroy them. They were going to get divorced, um, but then they decided not to, and they vowed to stay together and get him the fuck out of their lives. So now it's 1976, and Birchall agrees to a plea deal, and that's 20 months um, 
after the kidnapping. And he pled guilty to felony charges of kidnapping and got sentenced to five years, which was reduced to 45 days. And they gave him three months to check into jail. And then people are dying at Rikers. It's just like, it is shocking every time we talk about cases like this. He moved away ASAP and bought a family fun center in Wyoming. And she wanted (laughs) to work there. (laughs) You know, it's like the movie Adventureland, but not as fun. Uh, But there's pedophilia vibes in that one, too. I haven't seen Uh, it. Oh, it's good. Um... So, yeah, like go-karts. And Jan wanted to work there, and her parents kept saying no. And then they, basically, he called the mom and was like, listen, you either let her go, or she gets on the highway and hitchhikes her way here. But she's going to work here this summer. So the mom flew her out to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and the dad was pissed and said, you're going to regret that. So the dad also became hip to all of this, like in the episode, a little bit quicker than the mom who's just getting dicked down so good. So <laughs> she stayed there for two weeks and lived with him in his motorhome. And he told her he was divorcing his wife and they'll be married. And she believed it. And she was just like determined to complete the mission. And she didn't want to go back home. And she had to save the dying planet. And the clock was ticking. And he wouldn't stop bothering them, honestly. And he's like, if you don't let me see her, I'll fucking take her to the jungle. I'll take you out. You know, she will go wherever I tell her. And then she disappears again for a second time, August 10th, 1976. And there was a note that was supposed to be written by her, but it clearly wasn't. So then, but during this disappearance, he's also claiming he has no idea where she is. And the parents were so embarrassed. They didn't want to tell anyone. So they were like, oh, she's just with her grandmother. Uh, They just didn't want, they didn't, they they were more scared of what people would think that she got kidnapped again. So they didn't report it. They waited two weeks to get back to the FBI. So on September 1st, uh, Jan had been missing for three weeks and Birchold began his jail sentence and he served 10 days for kidnapping, for felony kidnapping. Fucked up. So he goes to Salt Lake and disappears and he would call and cry about how he missed her and the FBI recorded all the calls. So the mom and the FBI had plans and for three months he would call them, bother them constantly and she would have to sit and talk to him and um, hoping that he would slip and let them know where Jan was. But he was claiming that he had no idea where she was. And then 90 days after the second disappearance, they entered his motor home. And he had so many photos of her and like it was a worship area. And they decided you know what, we're going to do 24-7 surveillance on him. And then wildly, Jan called home and she just kept saying like, love you, love you, miss you, but no details, no details. Um, But she said she was fine and she misses them and she sounded peppy. And she also said she hasn't talked to Robert for a couple weeks. Then on November 11th, 1976, 102 days after, while they were following him, he called to a Catholic girls' school in Pasadena, California. Now, is this the one that Katy Perry wanted to buy? No, Katy Perry wanted to buy a, um, no, hers is in LA proper, not Pasadena, because I've been, it's a nunnery. It's like a, where do nuns live? It's like a nun. Convent. Convent. Yeah. Not a, yeah. Convent. A nunnery. (laughs) So she was there under the name Janice Tobler. 
And the day she disappeared um, in August, she opened her bedroom window and he was just there and they drove off together and he enrolled her at this all-girls Catholic boarding school. And again, this is just wild. So... Um, you know, no one could find her there, but it was close enough where he could visit on the weekends. And he told the school she was his daughter and that he's a big CIA guy. And he was in Lebanon and the mom was killed. And uh, basically, if anyone calls looking for her, not to trust them, they're the bad guys. And that, I mean, he is diabolical. Yeah. Aliens, yeah. CIA. Uh, like, I guess, can you prove you work at the CIA? Like, should the school have done something? Yeah, that's hard to verify. <sighs> And how did he afford tuition? Selling all those cars? People doing the bumper cars at his fun world? I have no idea, man. That's he wild. He just kept starting business. His five other kids are like, cool, I'm just in public school back here in Idaho. What the fuck, dad? Oh, my God. Um, I know this is wild and sip to topsy-turvy, but, I, you know, they, they did suffer true trauma. It's just like, whoa. Did you watch Jessica Jones? Uh, the first season. Yeah, it's like that bad Vic, like, uh, guy where he tells people what to do and they have to do it. But yeah. this guy doesn't have powers. He's just that manipulative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that guy's name again? I don't know. Has he been in an SVU? Well, no, it's David Tennant. Oh, so you do know who it is. I know the actor. I don't, I forgot. He has like a cool villain name. I, I was just uh, trying to remember the villain name. I see uh, Annalise sure clicking. Everyone's going to fucking tell me. I watched it like for Moriarty, Jessica Jones. It's like Moriarty, but it's not Moriarty. <laughs> so the next day, the FBI arrested him and brought him back to Idaho and picked up Jan and took her to Idaho. And she was put in jail and fingerprinted too because, you know, she's lying. And using resources and, like, pretending she's kidnapped. and I, Or not. I don't know. Whatever. They fingerprinted her. Then she came home and just went to her room and shut the door. Now she's been home for 38 days. It's 1977. And Bob's store is on fire. I can't. I, 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 guess, who did, I guess who did that? Guess who did that? Um, basically, this creep put two guys up to it. He met in jail. And, yeah. That was that. Jesus. They were sent to prison, but they couldn't pin it on B. They couldn't do it. Uh, but they did charge him for the second kidnapping and the new charges for faking being a CIA agent. Uh, but he was acquitted of kidnapping because the judge okayed his insanity defense. What? So reason of mental defect. He beat arson and CIA charges and the kidnapping charges. Fuck. Ted Bundy level. Ted yeah. Bundy level charm. So June 1977, he was ordered into a mental facility. Like, is anyone effervescent not a killer? Not a maniac? <laughs> maybe that's why we haven't met that many effervescent people because we're still alive. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's not a good quality. Um, release uh, less than six months. So June 1977, he was ordered into a mental facility. Um, released less than six months later. What? Fuck. I wrote this down and I'm surprised again. He claimed that he was cured and he made all these excuses about his childhood. I mean, these people never stop. And in June 1978, I mean, Jan still believed the mission. But then they started talking less and less. And I think it's because he lost interest in her because she was getting older. And so now she's 16 and she started being able to question the existence of aliens. So she went to theater camp and Brigham Young and they sent her to the camp. It was really tough for them, but they did it. And it's like, that's a quick turnaround. I don't know if I'd be able to send my kid to camp after all that. Yeah. 
Especially knowing that this guy is out on the loose. He probably right. is like the kitchen staff. And they thought, um, you know, they just wanted her to enjoy friends and camp and her summer. Uh, but the trauma was too deep. And she legit just focused hard on the mission and devised a plan. She was like, okay, if I don't get pregnant and do the mission by 16, I'm just going to get a gun, tell Susan about the mission. If she doesn't want to do it, I'll kill her and then kill myself. That was her plan. This is how far gone this girl was. Oh my God, poor thing. Because of this fucking piece of shit guy. I don't understand. Like, do do no pedophiles, can they, like, none of them can have rejection? This, I just don't understand. They're just obsessed with one kid and then that's that? I mean, it's part of the game probably. I don't know. He seems like hell-bent on destroying this whole family. I don't know. Burning down a business? I mean, that just seems like an extra knife, right? Like, you don't really... It has nothing to do with getting her. I don't know why I'm laughing. I'm just so uncomfortable. So, July 31st was her birthday. But she woke up, and then she knew it wasn't real. The healing began. She started sharing with her family. She started, like, unlearning, and she was realizing that it was all lies and that this was, like, a full-blown creep. So, cut to grown-up Jan. She says that if she counted all the times that he tried to engage in a sexual manner with her, it was more than 200 times. And uh, so, decades later, her and her mother wrote a book called Stolen Innocence, and they began speaking at different events. And this motherfucker started trying to show up at these events. You thought it was good and and like a good ending and that they're going to help people with their story, get out of these like manipulative, violent situations. No, he started fucking saying it was all lies and threatening them. So then there was a stalking injunction and then it was contested. So they ended up in court. They hadn't seen each other for 30 years and now sitting in court, like she had to be there and she did get the stalking injunction and usually they're for only three years, but she got one for the remainder of his life. And then there's this Bikers Against Child Abuse organizations called BACA and they protect people. They're like, uh, yeah, they're against child abuse and they love leather and Harleys. Maybe they'll be our sister Peg this week. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so they would, they came to a speaking engagement to protect her and he showed up and started like threatening and then he ran over one of the bikers and he had a gun on him. So he was arrested and charged with three felonies and two misdemeanors, but he didn't want to go back to jail. So he took his own life and is dead. Woo! Yeah, finally they can have some relief because they wouldn't, he wouldn't have left them alone. Yeah. And even if he went to jail, I'm sure he would have like, snuck out, convinced someone, left with a nurse, like whatever oranges the new black William Lewis, Bronwyn stuff he could have come up with. Like, (laughs) not to be trusted. And so I guess it's good that he started fucking around decades later and now he's dead. Yeah. I'm sure everyone has complicated thoughts, but I'm glad. So, because he he would continue doing this even not with just her, but with people forever. Like, he's a lifelong criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, six other women have come forward that they were sexually assaulted by him um, as little girls. <sighs> he was found guilty of rape of a child, actually, for one of the girls and spent one year in jail. One year. So that always happens, and we are upset, but we will bring it up every time that people <laughs> just get away with rape constantly and, but you know, child rape. Um, and then another thing that I found interesting to button this up is 
that Jan said she was able to forgive her parents by helping them forgive themselves for what they did because they had a really hard time. And both the parents were like, we'll never truly forgive ourselves. But they're all working on it. Um, And yeah. It is truly one of the most crazy stories I've ever heard. I mean, it's so out of control. Yeah. And Stolen Innocence is the book, if you'd like to know. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll link to it too. Well, as usual, we have a great guest to cleanse your palate. So stay right where you are. Thank you for telling us all that info, Lisa. Loved, loved revisiting it with you. I'm glad I got to watch it. I kind of want to watch it without having to take notes because it does seem, I want to, I just want to take it Not enjoy it, but. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. Okay, today's guest has been on some truly iconic television shows, you guys. Boardwalk Empire, Nosferatu, a <laughs> a huge, a juggernaut, I would say. Big Little Lies. Ever heard of it? The real estate pornography show called Big Little Lies? Um, that's just to name a few. She has a stacked IMDb, but you know her as Claire Lee in today's episode. Guys, please enjoy our chat with the amazing Virginia Cull. Virginia, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank I you. Was obviously I I think I knew you were an actor, and then when I watched this episode of SVU, I was like, oh my gosh, that is Virginia. Our kids go to school together. Our kids are in a preschool together, and you have two adorable twins named Wilhelmina and Lloyd. Willie and Lloyd. Rosie loves to talk about them, and. I forget what she was telling me about them the other day. Something about them. She's very, she wants to know who's in her class next year. And she's like, are Willie and I was like, they're not. But like, you know. I know. I haven't, (laughs) I haven't broken it to them yet. You know, I was like, we don't need to talk about this. I asked them, you know, who's your friend at school? I'll say, is Rosie your friend? They'll say yes. But then I'll say, is Elmo your friend? And they'll say yes. I don't think they haven't quite figured it out. Oh, yeah. Rosie calls everybody's her best friend. They're my best Uh friend. They're my best friend. So she's got... I do know that they know who she is because Willie always talks about her pretty curly hair. Oh, that is sweet. That is very sweet. Um, it does but, have curls. Well, and it's wild because I think your kids were just at the aquarium and Kara and Rosie's at the zoo right the now. The zoo, yeah. Yes. A real animal yes. We just day. send our kids away when we have to podcast and that's parenthood, everyone. That's uh-huh. what we have to do. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah. Well, so, speaking of. You are coming to us live from a mudroom in an apartment in Vancouver where you're shooting something. What are you shooting? I... You know, I we can like cut this mi- out if you're not allowed to no, talk no, about no. it. No, no, no. You're you you get middle aged in this business, and you just <laughs> play moms of teenagers. That's that's <laughs> how I roll these days. I am playing uh, Miss Sally Jackson, aka mother to Percy Jackson, demigod extraordinaire, oh, wow. in the new Percy Jackson Disney Plus series. Cool. So that's huge. We're we're having a ball, and I'm learning lot a lot about volume stages and green screen and. All things that are cool for twelve and thirteen year olds. <laughs> Wait, if your ki- if Percy's a demigod or something, are you um like are you do you have powers? Are, are you ready for this? No, I am a mere mortal, which is why he's a demigod. Demigods half god, half mortal. In my early days, I uh, had a little something something happen with Poseidon, the god of the sea. 
Yes. (laughs) As I remember from high school mythology. Wow. I can't believe you guys hooked up. That's amazing. Uh, You can't believe. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Poseidon's hot. He's a player. That's all I've heard. (laughs) But okay, so you also play the mom of a teen in this episode, Did You Believe in Miracles, that just Mm -hmm. aired. We got so many messages from our listeners about this episode because it's very clearly based on this popular Netflix documentary called Abducted in Plain Sight. Had you seen that before? I had not seen it. My mind was blown when I was in hair and makeup for my first day of work. And they said, you know that this is a real story? I said, no way. And then she pointed me towards the documentary and I watched it and I lost my mind. Crazy, right? It's terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel, did you watch it after you wrapped or did you watch it like in the no, hotel room in New York? I, I watched in the hotel in New York, like right in the middle of it. I'm, I'm a cheat. If, if there's like anything that can help me in the acting process, someone else has done the same part and there's a movie of it or like a tape of the stage play from 20 years earlier. I watch it and I steal. I steal everything <laughs> I can. <laughs> So yeah, no, 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 no. I wanted to get my hands on it and and get everything I could. What informed your performance from watching it, do you think? You know what? That the parents of this girl were not idiots. They were smart, thoughtful, loving, hands-on mom and dad. And I think that's what's so creepy and crazy about the whole thing is that you know, you hear about stories like this and you're like, I would never fall for that. I'd never let that happen to my kid. I, that would never have happened to me. And, you know, it's like, I'd never get in the unmarked van, that sort of thing. But then, like, it does happen to totally normal people. Yeah. No one is really above being manipulated, like, if someone's good enough, you know? I know. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. They make your way into your family. I mean, it's it's really wild. Um, So... I remember, so I realized when I was going through your IMDb that you had actually been like the main character of another SVU like 11 years ago or something that's called Reparations. And a very intense episode. You play the granddaughter of a Nazi and you have a bad memory. And you. (laughs) That's a very generous way. But so I like assumed 11 years ago, I mean, a lifetime ago, it feels like, especially with having young kids and stuff. Did you then for this episode, just did they just bring you back or did you have to like audition again or what's like the process? Kara, it was a dream. (laughs) So I was a New York theater actor for 10 years and that's what I thought I'd be doing forever. And it's a rite of passage as a New York actor to be, you know, at the time, the trifecta to to do all three. Everyone wanted to be on the mothership. Everyone wanted to do SVU. So I went through the whole grueling audition process for the first round 11 years ago. And then, you know, move on to other things. It was a great, fun experience. I got to get grilled by Terrence Howard. That was really fun. Um, But then I'm in LA. It's the middle of the pandemic. I'm stuck at home with my beautiful, lovely, maniac (laughs) two-year-old twins. And my agents called me out of the blue and said, hey, uh, you just got an offer to do an SVU. And I was like, what? 
And they said, yeah. And and SVU is one of the only, I'm just going to be real here. It's one of the only shows on TV that still pays their actors properly. That's good to know. Oh my gosh, dude. They take good care of us. And it's all because of Miss Number One on the call sheet, Mariska Hargitay, yeah. who is a goddess divine. But so they came in. I thought, I can't go to New York City right now. COVID twins. We don't have childcare. What the heck? I can't do it. But then they kind of made an offer that I couldn't refuse and the delight of a straight offer. And I just yeah. thought, oh, maybe this is what happens. You know, they put you in the Rolodex and how much that, you know, they have to let 10 years go by before you can go back and play a different part. So I'm like, okay, keep me in the Rolodex, guys. And in 10 more years, I'll play like the drooling geriatric patient that gets like <laughs> raped by her caretaker. <laughs> you know what I mean? They've like, done just, it. Like, They've done keep it. Keep me, keep me in the rounds and just keep calling and I'll be happy to, happy to go. So I got yeah. to go to New York City and leave my poor husband at home with. With twins. <laughs> and it how much time from the call till you're on set? That was insane. That was, they made the offer and they wanted me there like three days later. And I was like, guys, you got to give me that plus the weekend to just like get our act together and like find a babysitter. So we found a former colleague of my husband who was a COVID protocol officer on a show and hating her life. And she was like, we're like, hey, can we just pay you to nanny our kids for the two weeks? And she was like, yes, I'm quitting my job tomorrow. (laughs) So she came and like met the kids on a Saturday. I flew out like 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning. I I was on set on Monday. I tested. I I did a costume fitting and then I was straight into hair and makeup and started shooting. It was a bit of a whirlwind. Yeah. How do you prep for that or memorize the line? Like, how do you prep so quickly? I never understand why it's so fast. Like, why is casting always like, you have to start tomorrow? Like, it's I don't understand. So you know, I, 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 don't, I don't mind the starting quickly as much as I mind the auditioning quickly. You know, when you get like 10 pages of sides and they want you to send a tape in 24 hours later. Yeah. I'm like, come on, guys. Like, your job is to give the producers the best performances on these tapes as possible. And if you give the actors zero time to do it, or, no one is being shown in their best light here. Why so many pages? You don't know when it's two pages if you oh. like me or not. Why does it need to be 10? Just <laughs> And why, why in the pages, in the scenes, particularly if you're a woman... of the time you're having to cry and 80% (laughs) of the time, 80% of the time it's, ow, you're hurting me. Stop choking me. Oh, let go of me. And it's like, how am I supposed to do that by myself in a room on Zoom? Like you, it's so, she was a scene where two people are talking to each other and I'm not having to like pretend that I'm getting the shit kicked out of me. Yeah. You know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Does your husband do does your husband do scenes with you? My husband will read with me sometimes and I'm oh like, gosh. you need to take it down a little bit. It sounds like you're trying to get the other part. You need to calm down. <laughs> Ryan, not many people know this about him. My husband is now he saw the light and wisened up and got out of the acting gig and went and he's now a producer for animation. But when we met, 
He had recently graduated from Carnegie Mellon. He was in the acting program there. He worked as a theater actor in New York. He won a Drama Desk Award for a play he did, and then he never acted again. So I have the most talented reader at my disposal, and he spoils me (laughs) because sometimes I have to go in and read with like, some casting directors are great, others not so much. I will not name them. But you know what I mean. (laughs) So he spoils me where I'm like, oh, shit. I wish I could bring my husband with me to my auditions because I know he'll be be great. Wow. Okay, so you got a former COVID officer to watch your kids for a couple weeks, got your butt to New York, got on the set. How Did you notice, like, big changes from 2011 to 2022? Well, the 2011 experience was, I mean, I was very green. I had done one other job and... um, I remember in 2011, I was just delighted that I wasn't in the honey wagon, which for you listeners out there is like the teeny, it just a very small closet that they kind of, that they call your trailer and you get to hang out in. And so I was in like a a triple banger, which just felt like a mansion. <laughs> um, and then also it was a crossover episode. So there were a lot of regulars that weren't normally on the SVU set like milling around and Mariska wasn't in our episode. So all of my stuff oh, was with Ice-T right. and Chris Maloney. Um, so this this experience was new and lovely just because I, I got some Kelly Giddish and some Mariska up in my life. They are magic. Yeah. I mean, really. I was I was nervous. I was intimidated just because what are they on? 23 seasons now? Well, yeah, 23 just wrapped. They're going to go I, heading into 24 this fall. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, and you you look at someone like Mariska and you think, like, is this woman going to be bonkers or or just a monster person? And I, I was totally schooled on that. The second I met her, I realized, oh, the reason the show has gone on for as long as it has is because she's so warm. She's so generous. She sets a great tone and it like trickles down from there. It was so fun. Yeah, we hear that. From, we're still waiting for the one guest to come on and be like, I hate her. She's the worst. Do you but- think anyone would ever actually say that? I don't think we'd air it if they did, but... Well, we've had some Maloney, like... Yeah, we've had a couple of, like, Maloney... (laughs) People have had some moments with Maloney that they didn't love. (laughs) Um, But, like, the worst thing we've gotten from Mariska Hargitay, somebody told us that she was late to set one day because she'd been at, like, the MTV Movie Awards the night before and was, like, partying too hard. And it's like, who cares? Get it. Like, have fun. Yeah, she missed one day of work once, and it was she got too wasted with Taylor Swift during the Bad Blood era. (laughs) It's kind of fun. could not come to set. That's kind of fun. I I think she's allowed one of those in 23 seasons. I I think so, too. (laughs) No, she was great. She There was one day we were shooting the scene where we're, like, at the you know, outdoor restaurant or whatever, and she goes missing again. We were we were shooting that scene and there was all this paparazzi there waiting to take her picture. She knew them all by name and was totally respectful and decent to them and like gave them what they wanted and then said, okay, guys, I need you to step back so we can do this. And I just thought that's a great way to handle it. Like, because they respected her. Yeah, and also she never has bad pictures in the press. <laughs> right. I think, like, she's like, you gotta, you gotta work with these people, know they're part of the process. And if you're decent to them, but but firm about, like, we're shooting here, they 
they gave us our space, which I, that, I thought yeah. was pretty classy. Yeah. And you never see pictures of her like sans makeup, double chin, getting out of a car first thing. You know, they they oh, they treat gosh. her nice. They treat her this nice. This is why it's good that I'm not famous, Kara. That's <laughs> all you'd get. That's all you'd no, get. No, I know. Me. It's like if anybody caught me dropping uh, Rosie off to school in the oh, morning, God. I'm like, I feel like I always see your husband and I'm like, hi, how's it going? Because <laughs> like Rosie's in the middle and of now, a meltdown. Now that it's like getting so hot in LA pushing that stroller, schlepping, because we walk, schlepping that stroller back and forth. I'm like dripping. Yeah. Like sweat in places that it shouldn't be, <laughs> you know, like armpit sweat, everyone, no, who cares? But like, yeah. I've got it on my like stomach. It's so It's really, really Kara and I do stand up and I recently had to perform somewhere where the air conditioning was broken. No, what and did you so- do? I had like a full That's sweat a mustache. Oh, I was God. dripping. But then I'm going to actually horrify both of you. I didn't even tell Kara this. A man in the front row took his sneakers off, put his feet on the stage and started wiggling his toes. Oh my God. <laughs> Did you like off the cuff make an impromptu joke? Did you heckle him? I... Is it called heckling when you give give an audience member a hard time? No, it was when they give you a hard time. But he thought I was okay. kidding. I was like, you need to put your feet away right now. And he goes, no, I go, I will get you kicked out right now if you don't fucking do that. And then I started doing <laughs> jokes. But I was like, I'm not looking at your feet. And I told him, like, I'm dripping sweat. I'm being vulnerable. I'm telling you about, like, my life. Like, get your feet away. And then he knew and he apologized. He was like, you're right, you're you right, you're right. You literally have a TikTok up of you telling someone to get their foot off the stage. Like, Lisa's not the person you want to <laughs> mess with foot, by putting your feet foot. up on the stage. Um, <laughs> Sorry for that aside, but it is No, hot, no, I guess. I, that is horrible. And I, I honestly feel bad for the guy. I wouldn't want you yelling at me because that's, I, I know that's a pet peeve of yours. Um, so let me back ask to you this. this. Back to this episode. How so? How was like your on-screen family? Your husband was this guy Reggie Lee, and then you had your mm-hmm. on-screen daughter. And like, man, that last scene where you have to like bamboozle your daughter into getting that DNA test, masterclass. Like, you're really you're, so, you're good. so good. Like we had to ADR that entire stupid scene because it was too windy that? or something. Because it was too windy. Oh, wow. And me and the sound guy in between takes, I was like, I'm ADRing this shit, aren't I? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't, like, it, not, it props to the sound department, but there was, like, nothing that could be done. So, oh, yeah. ADR, no, for, our, for our listeners, ADR is just when you have to, like, record something because you couldn't do it, like, in the scene because of sound issues. So you Yeah, just, so like, it means you go into a big sound booth and there's a big screen and you watch your big face on the big screen. <laughs> and try and to, like, to match. talk along with yourself like a Muppet. It's so... <laughs> and, like, they're like, cry. Okay, you were a little more upset on the day. So here's some tissues. Do you need a oh, second no. to get upset and riled up? So, yeah. Um, no, that it was great. Reggie was so much fun. All of my stuff was with him. So we were kind of in cahoots, you know, for the two weeks I was in New York. And then my sweet daughter, I literally only had that one scene with her. So oh, that was yeah. the only time we met. Because she's like missing from the dinner and they don't really yeah. have you with her any other time. Right. And I, I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I met her until we shot that scene. Wow. So it was like, so good. You just saw the complexity of all the emotions in your face. Oh, it was like heart wrenching because you had to do it, but you didn't want to, but you knew you had to like trick her. Yeah. yeah. I knew I had to lie to her. <sighs> but were you ever, when you were like doing, when you're doing these kind of characters, were, were you ever like, 
what's wrong with this person? Like, because she keeps acting like nothing's wrong and like everything's going to be fine. This guy is not a creep. And then uh, you obviously get it, but it takes your character a while to come around to getting it. I think I, I think I I give my I give myself permission to have you know like thirty minutes of like massive judgment towards her, towards the <laughs> character you know where I'm like you crazy crazy person uh, particularly the whole like I was having an affair with him so no way he could want my daughter and the fact that it took her so long to come around to the fact that like he's not in love with me yeah i thought like she she was a bit dim in that department <laughs> but you know once you I, you know i once i got once i let myself do that for a few minutes i'm like well if i got to if i want to play this believably and spontaneously i've got to let go of virginia's judgment towards this poor woman and just you know yeah. Do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm going to change the topic and I hope it's okay, but I would love to I'm talk. I'm going to take a sip of my coffee. Oh yeah, good. I um I want to talk big little lies if that's. Oh yeah, let's okay. do it. <laughs> How was it? I mean, what a show that was like one of the be- oh, I remember gosh. when that came out that like took over everything. It was so good, star-studded. It was like all people talked about. It was such a phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, how was it filming with like all the kids and then all the celebs and just being on that set? It was an experience in amazing ways. And in like traumatizing ways, <laughs> but I think I think all of the actors would agree. Um, the kids were so much fun. Darby Camp and Armitage, all of those kiddos were a dream. Um, Jean Marc, God rest him. Gee whiz, did you know? Yeah. Did you hear that the director died yes. suddenly over Christmas? Yes, it's insane. Um, he had told me that uh, he my audition tape had made him laugh out loud because I was like trying to corral a bunch of like second graders and I was just ad-libbing. But I'm not a clever comedian like you two. I was just (laughs) saying the things that like I've heard teachers say to my kids. So I was going like, uh, one, two, three, eyes on me. (laughs) If you can hear my voice clap once, you know, that sort of (laughs) bonkers stuff. Um, no, it was, it was fun. It was long. It was the job that would never end. I think with a job like that, uh, they just had so much money that we were allowed to go over budget and o- over time. And so we just kind of felt trapped by the end because <laughs> we couldn't get out. Yeah. And Jean-Marc shot in this amazing way. It's why his movies and his shows look beautiful. His DP, Eve that he did everything with. They use all natural available light. So there's no like lighting crew. It's just they shoot. There's no setup. So you would think you were off camera and you'd be sitting there with your tea and your warming coat and they're shooting away from you. And all of a sudden, like because they felt so inspired, they whip the camera around and there's like extras and crew members diving into bushes to try to get out of the shot so they don't wreck, you know, Nicole Kidman's beautiful, perfect take where she's weeping and the tears falling perfectly and all of that. (laughs) I mean, so it's like super stressful because you never felt like you could go to the bathroom because it's like, what if I'm, what if I mess up a shot because I'm not there? I don't know. It was, it was nuts. But 
all of the supporting actors, I think we were in similar boats and we just fell in love with one another. And we have a running text chain every like three days. I'll I'll check my phone and I'll have like 73 missed text messages. And it's just from all of those genius actors, like reaching back out to each other, happy birthdays, checking in, cracking jokes. Um, and it was oh fun. The, 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 the scene at the end where, where Perry meets his demise and sorry, spoiler alert guys. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, we're all dressed like Audrey Hepburn and Elvis Presley outside. We did two full weeks of overnights in Barnsdale Park in Los Feliz. And it was hell. People were passing out all this tiki torches, like the fumes from the tiki torches people were passing out. It was like 45, 50 degrees at night. People were freezing cold. And we just, like every time I hear those Elvis songs, (laughs) the poor like Adam Scott had to lip sync to, I start to have like PTSD. I can't drive past Barnstall Park without like getting the shivers because it was so brutal. And oh my God, it was, wow. It was a, yeah, it was, it was hard days, but I think we made something really fucking great. And I think it says something about the show that we're still so like in love with one another. Yeah. Years later. Now I, I, I need to clarify that like Reese and Nicole are not on this text. Right, right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Not because they weren't lovely, but you know. Imagine Nicole Kidman just like sending you memes midday. Can you imagine? (laughs) Although one of the actors um, like in our camp was is also a TV writer and he was writing on, I don't know, it's a kid's show, like uh, maybe Liv and Maddie. I don't even remember what it was. But Nicole, apparently her kids were big fans and she like fangirled this like wonderful actor writer that no one knows who they are compared to Nicole Kidman. And she was like geeking out over it because her kids were into Liv and Maddie. And I think she might have even brought the kids to a taping of the show. Wow. It was really sweet. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. That's so funny. Yeah, we had fun. We had fun. It was Jean-Marc started... I. My scene with the kids was the very, very, very first shot of the entire, you know, process. Mm -hmm. And he was always drinking hot water. His assistant would bring him hot water. And we were all standing around me and like 37-year-olds. And he played Neil Young's Harvest Moon. And we all sat there and with the crew and the kids quietly and we listened to the whole song play and then he said a prayer to the creative gods that they would bless our shoot it was the most like wondrous strange bizarre but like beautiful way to start a job it was really interesting i'd never i'd never seen a, a director do that before and i'd never seen producers willing to like give someone that time to do that so wow that's yeah, it was cool. cool. I mean, I have to say that like when I first started the process of like trying to find a school for my kids and and the school that they ended up at, like it was, everyone was telling me, oh, it's hard to get in there. It's hard to get in there. And I was like, oh yeah, God, it's going to be like, same thing. it's going to be the school from Big Little Lies. Everyone's going to be like <laughs> snotty and like I terrible feel like to we're the, the like, most plebeian of everybody. Everyone's so fancy, Kara. <laughs> I feel 
I'm everyone's incredibly impressive. You miss like, like podcaster to the stars, stand up comedian. Hardly. My tattoo artist kid goes there. Oh yeah. Do you know little Arlo? Yeah. Arlo's dad is a tattoo artist in Highland Park and Lisa's gotten a bunch of tattoos from him. I want to see. Can you show me one? Um, or are they all yeah. in like unmentionable places? He did oh. that. Oh, I That's love that one. Beautiful. The Ouija board oh, thing. this one too. Which one's that? It's like a water tower. Yeah, it's like a water tower with planets. Oh, like Brooklyn water. Like gorgeous. That's gorgeous, exactly gorgeous. it. It was. Is Brooklyn. it a Brooklyn water tower? <laughs> yeah. I lived there for 10 years. I miss it. Yeah, oh, we're, both, we're both New York yeah. girls too. Oh, you are? Yeah, yeah. Like born and raised? Well, no. I am I was born in New York and raised in Connecticut right outside, but I lived there for 11 years before I moved to LA. Okay, all right. Like six years ago, yeah. And then Lisa. And I lived there for six Oh my gosh, years. that's like the same timing of us. We were there 10 years and moved here seven years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did yeah, you yeah, guys there. meet on the job? Like, did you meet through theater, you and your husband? No, he was... My college roommate and best friend was his best friend in high school. So oh, he wow. was coming through town. He, I went to SMU, uh, Meadow School of the Arts in Dallas, Texas, and he was driving through town for some random reason and called my my friend Sarah and was like, hey, I'm in town. Can I come hang out and see you? And you can show me around the campus. So we met when we were 18. But then, wow. you know, he was at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh and I was down in Dallas. And then we reconnected uh, when we moved to New York because I was, you know, overwhelmed and had no friends. And so like clinging to anyone I knew <laughs> and, um, yeah, like we're friends for a long time. And then, yeah, we've been married 13 years. Isn't that nuts? Wild. Yeah. We're yeah. like half, we're, we just had seven. We just had seven. Well done. Ugh. How's it going? Seven year itch. Seven. <laughs> I'm out of here. No, it's good. It's good. <laughs> it's good. The second kid is uh, has almost broken my husband, but I think we're getting over the hump. <laughs> I, I I can't I I cannot fathom how anyone does that. Because well, the, I prayed I mean, for twins. I'm so jealous. Like I prayed for twins. I was like, I would love to just have twins and be done. Because you knew you wanted to. Yeah. Okay. He wouldn't have. I would so have many more, more if I could. I would <laughs> have more what? if I could. If I could, if I had like, if I had different, some, some different circumstances, I think I would. Are yeah. you one of those women that like loved being pregnant? No, no. I hate okay. those women. And you would still do it? I would do one more. I would do Did one more. Did you see the Amy Schumer stand-up where she where she was like ralphing through the whole thing because she's super <laughs> pregnant and super sick? And there was one moment where she talked about those women that love being pregnant and she was like, I hope, what did she say? Something like, I hope they like get, I don't know, like drive their car off a bridge and die some horrible <laughs> Yeah, she had like maybe one of the worst pregnancies I've ever heard of. <laughs> like I, she was God. that hyperemesis stuff is sounds no, awful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of, I mean, this might be a little wild, but any chance you met um Ice T's wife, Coco. <laughs> Coco. No, but we talked about her so much. I used to watch their little reality show. Yes. Yeah. Same. Ice loves Coco. I, Wait, did you, what did you, yeah, what did you and Ice talk about, um, with, about Coco and other stuff? So Ice is amazing. Okay. So, so the two weeks I was in New York, it was the first, um, it was the first time I've been away from the kids where they've been old enough to understand like mom's gone. This sucks. So there were, they kind of had a hard time. And there was one morning that, uh, their dad, 
gave them like Cheerios and on the box of Cheerios was iced tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and my husband was like, they were like, oh, I want mommy, I miss mommy. And they were like, oh, mommy's working with this man right here. And there was like a little QR code on the box of stupid Cheerios that um took him to some video of iced tea leading like like workouts, but it's like step to the left. Coach Ice. Step to the right. <laughs> yeah. And the kids, it, it, he, Ice T is responsible for like getting the first genuine smiles out of Willie and Lloyd after like me being gone three or four days. And so I told Ice when we were on set, I was like, dude, Ice, I, like huge props to you. Thank you. You've brought my kids out of like the doldrums. And I told, and he proceeded to just talk about how like, dude, if you pay me, I will say yes to your job. He just went on and on about like, like adult diapers, Cheerios, whatever. And he's just laughing all the way to the bank because oh, yeah. he's not one of us actors who are snooty and, no, I only work for so-and-so or I only do prestige drama on streaming services or whatever. <laughs> he He will do any job. And he has the greatest life. Like he gets to go tour in his off seasons, he's getting, I, who knows how much he's getting paid as a regular on SVU. Yeah. Lots of money, as he should. And then he's got some like fabulous house near his in-laws that they liked. And it costs like no money because it's in like a more reasonably priced place to live. I mean, he, they just sound like, he sounds like he doesn't have a care in the world. I'm sure he does, but I mean, he has got it figured out. Yeah, we we talked to um Diane Neal in one of our first interviews and she was like, "Oh, Ice was the one that told me like always sign your own checks, like don't let anybody oh, yeah. mess with your money." Like he should yes. literally do like a Sue's Orman. But apparently Coco's really good at that too. I bet. Like she is like very fiscally minded. She's like a genius with numbers, I think. Like I apparently I mean that girl is an impressive, not girl, woman. Both. <laughs> it can be both, right? Yeah. <laughs> an impressive, impressive young lady. Yeah. So, yeah. They have, like, yeah, she's just in matching bikinis with baby Chanel all over the world, and they're having a great time. And, yeah, yeah their life looks carefree. I'm sure they have a problem or two, but nothing like, iced tea can't money, solve. big money, big problems kind yeah. of thing. No, <laughs> no. He, nothing ruffled him. He was... Wonderful. Yeah. He used to have his own podcast and I listened to it and I loved it. It was one of the funniest podcasts. I don't think he was intentionally always trying to be funny, but he was <laughs> so funny on it. And it was like, but philosophical and he would get deep. It was great. Ugh, RIP, yeah. the final level podcast. Um, <laughs> what else do we have for Virginia? You told us about the Percy Jackson TV show. That When is that coming mm-hmm. out on Disney? Plus, I have no idea. Okay, okay. So no we'll just keep an, an eye out for it. We are early days. Yeah. And, and I how have long no are you going to have to be How long you have to be how, there? Well, I know we're shooting for like six, six to eight ish months. So I'll be, but I'm sat, I'm the mom. So like I'm here in the beginning and then I go away and the kids are going to like go on their adventure and then I have to come back in the, I guess, towards the end. So back and forth for like six months. And then, you know, hopefully people love it and the fans, you know, are like over the moon about it. And then I think the plan is each season will be like another book. 
So I guess cool. for the next five years. Wow. You know, that's awesome that you have like Again. something lined up for that long. Oh, no, no, no. I'm really, I'm really grateful. I'm glad they're, they're letting me like do pursue other stuff while I'm doing this. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, it'll be. It'll yeah. Be do you have anything thing. else you want like our listeners to check out besides this upcoming th- project? This is just from IMDb. I know that I don't, they don't always have everything. You know what? I did a little indie. Um, I shot it uh, in the middle of nowhere in Texas at the Mexico border um, right before the pandemic. And it's taken a long time for it to come out, but it's making the festival circuit right now. It's called The Big Bend. It's with Jason Butler Harner and Erica Ash and David Sullivan and Brett Wagner is our director and writer. And it, it's very different than Percy Jackson, but I was really proud of it and um, had a great time doing it. And it's uh, kind of a time capsule for me because I was six months pregnant with oh, the wow. kids. So, you know, I'm like in a bathing suit in literally in the middle of the Rio Grande River covered in mud with like Willie and Lloyd in my belly. So, you know, it's Is a your special... character pregnant? Yeah, actually, they had offered me the job and I hadn't told anyone, not even my parents, that I was pregnant. And they offered me the job and I read the script and I found out Jason would would be playing my husband. And I thought, oh God, I'd love to do this, but the dates won't work because I'll be huge. And then I thought, well, I guess we could risk it. We could just tell them I'll be pregnant and then they'll understand why we're passing. And we told them and he wrote it in. Wow. He like cool. changed the story to accommodate it. Yeah, it was amazing. And then like halfway through shooting my children inside of me decided to like be really mean to my body. And so the latter half of shooting was not so fun because, you know, pregnancy doesn't feel so great the larger you get. Yeah, and I can't even imagine with two in there, I mean. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, we we were seven hours from the closest airport and two hours from the closest hospital and... You know, wow. electrical storms and scorpions and the whole nine yards. But it's called The Big Bend. I don't, it's right now making the festival circuit. But if you ever have a chance to check it out, like it's a, it's an odd, lovely, fun, interesting little, little film. And I cool. wish people made more stuff like that. I, you know, superheroes are fun, but let's diversify yeah. a little bit, right? Every, Ugh. yeah, the existing IP issue is sort of, it's tiresome. Yeah. Um, But Willie and Lloyd have an IMDb credit in a way. So that's exciting. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. (laughs) You could show it to them one day. (laughs) Over my dead body, are they actually doing this for a living? So it will be their one and only. (laughs) No way. This no, was um, awesome. Yeah, Lisa, do you have any so other... much fun. No, yeah. this is like amazing. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, any other... Do you have any other little tidbits from your time, both of your times at SVU? Any little funny stories you can remember? I know it's like... <laughs> um, Chris Maloney, who I didn't see on this one, but 11 years ago, he wore a leather jacket all the time. <laughs> and it was like... Have you ever seen the like, uh, Ralphie Red Rider BB gun Christmas story yes, movie? yes. Like the kid that's like, I can't put my arms down. That's kind <laughs> yeah. of what Chris looks like. Like he's a very like attractive, you know, like in shape guy. But the leather jacket, I just remember him walking around in his arms kind of like. They wouldn't settle. They wouldn't settle. <laughs> it was really funny. And and he, and I think Marishka was supposed to do it. And at the last minute, 
She didn't, and I don't know why. So they gave all of Mariska's lines to Chris and all of Chris's lines to Ice-T. So I remember there being like a lot of scrambling on the day where Chris would be like, I'm not saying this. This is shit. Like, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so we just kind of like, in the moment, he would like rewrite dialogue, not because he was being an asshole, just because it was written for a female. Like, no, 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 no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say this. Yeah, but I I remember the leather jackets. <laughs> so whenever I I do my very bad Chris Maloney, my arms always kind of bob up and down. <laughs> <on my side. laughs> oh my gosh. And then oh god, in holding where we have our little, you know, dressing rooms and we're waiting to be called to set, they've got one of those little buttons that you that when you push it, it makes the dunk dunk. Oh, we have the one. Law & Order sound. We have oh, yeah. one. Well, they've got like 20 of them on the little, on the AD's desk. And I really enjoyed pushing those suckers. <laughs> they were real fun. Like it never gets old. That sound never gets old. Yeah. Well, Rosie finds it all the time and she loves hitting it. And then it makes me yeah. crazy after a little while. <laughs> I wonder, I, 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 I charge you to figure out, did someone write that, like compose it? And if so, do they get money from it? I think it is part of the initial, I've seen like a behind the scenes thing about that. Like it's part of like whoever composed the full opening song. Like whoever, I mean, like the theme song of the original Law and Order, like they, yeah, they were like, uh, suppose, I think it's supposed to be either a gavel or jail doors closing. So I don't really... Mm -hmm. We're yeah. unsure. We got to get to the bottom of that. Lots of mysteries. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wonder where Mariska was that episode. It feels like she doesn't miss a lot. I wonder if she... I know. She, she kept asking me. She was like, why have we not met before? I was like, well, I've done an episode for your show, but you weren't on it. I wonder if it was she when was she was like, having what? a kid. Or maybe that was... Yeah, who maybe. knows? Yeah. Maybe she was partying with Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> totally possible. Oh, yeah. It couldn't have been that her kid. I think she had a kid like season seven or eight. I don't know. Who knows? You guys would know more than me. You're the super fans. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Virginia. This was thank so you. much fun. It was very lovely to see you both in this new weird Zoom world we're in. Virginia was awesome. I can't believe yeah. that like all the kids are together at school. I know. I'm so I was so happy that this all worked out because I like, yeah, I just saw her on this episode and was like, oh my God. Like I see her a drop off. Um, but uh yeah, that makes she me happy. Great. She had a lot of good insight about, you know, acting and and the show and everything. I love talking to her. That was amazing. Um, I mean, uh, what did we learn from this episode of television? What's our postmortem? I well, mean, I was talking to some friends and I was like, well, you guys saw that documentary like Abducted in Plain Sight and a couple of them were puzzled and someone else was like, oh, where the dad fucked the guy and immediately everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we remember. Yeah. It is like such a cultural phenomenon when it came out. I don't even know how I missed it, yeah. but it is like, it's, it is so shocking, the manipulation that could happen. It's I so mean, shocking. I think it's like, luckily, uh, you hope you hope that you don't meet somebody like this who targets you and comes into your life like this. But I, I, I you know, I, I thought what Virginia said was really interesting. It was like, none of these people were stupid. None of them were like rubes. Like they were like pretty normal people that, cared they about were, their kids. But they were religious. And yeah. religious people are um, more susceptible to manipulation, I believe, because 
of their like attachment to authority and like mm. a power and listening to someone that's I don't know mm-hmm. like high in the church or something like that because they were church friends. Yeah. Well, and I also think, honestly, it's like when he was telling Jan all the shit about the aliens, it's like she's been primed her whole life being told these stories about, you know, miracles and, you know, things that happen in religion. So why is it so crazy to think, oh, I got to have a baby with this, my next door neighbor in order to save my sisters and humanity and aliens? You know, it's like, it's like when I will sometimes, like when we went to go see Book of Mormon and I would like make fun of Mormonism to my husband and he'd be like, yeah, but how is that crazier than Christianity or Judaism for that matter? And it's like, true, we all have these crazy, you know, myths and fables and and stories from the Bible that are, I don't know. I just think you can teach kids to believe casual. a lot of shit. Yeah. But there's casual religion and then it's like we're going to church trips and we're at the church. Yes. And you know that all these g- girls are taught like that men are the leaders of the family or that if someone's at the church, they're good. Did we cover a case um, where it was like a little Jewish boy and he ran to someone that looked Jewish and that's yeah. the person that ended up killing him? Libby Klutsky, yep. Yeah, so it's like, you know, I, I yeah, I think religion is dangerous for children. <laughs> Uh, in some ways, yeah, yeah, for sure. And for people, I think you're just more susceptible to believing um, things are happening to you. I don't know. I don't know. When I watched them in the documentary, I didn't get the idea that it was like, I've seen dumber people in documentaries is what I'm saying. Oh, 100%. Like, when I heard the stories and then when I watched the doc, like seeing them, they looked so different than what I had in my head. I definitely yeah. imagined a more chaotic family life. Maybe like poorer and like the kids stayed out till the sun went down. Like I just imagined something different and right. It was not. Yeah. And it's also, I would say in general, there is like a, there, you know, societally, there's a thing about like, oh, what are other people going to say? But I do think that that is heightened in religious families as well. Like they didn't want to go back to the police because they were like, what if people find out that this happened again, what will it look like? You know what I mean? Like, and they didn't want to tell anybody about, in the episode, they didn't want to tell anyone that she was going away because they didn't want her to get judged for going on a Christian trip. And it's like, like there is a little bit of that. And I think when you're afraid of things being out in the open, then you leave room for a lot of secrecy and a lot of like abuse, I think, to come into play. Yeah. Yeah. And I was about to whole spiral into the secrecy thing. I mean, <laughs> are people going to wake up and realize we're sliding into fascism and we're in the middle of it? And if DeSantis is the president, like we will... <laughs> I can't. I can't think about DeSantis as the president. It's I know, much. but I just don't know what else because even our other options are doing nothing. I mean, I just can't. I really am shocked at how little is being done to fight anything. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it is just like so fucked up. Everything is so fucked. I'm disassociated. There was I like definitely a dark cloud over 4th of July weekend. I was just like, there's too much horrible shit going on. Uh, there was a shooting in your hometown. I mean, not Skokie, but like, you know, Chicago suburbs. That's where like, the kid's high school is. Yeah. Ugh. The green shirt I had her in all day was her Highland Park shirt. She picked it out. So she has this Highland Park shirt on all day with a heart on it. And people are writing on my Instagram going, oh, this even if this isn't like a shout out for Highland Park, it's so nice. And I'm like, it's a complete coincidence. Like we live in Highland Park. Yeah. And this fucker was like uh, authorities were called on him 
in the past because he was threatening killing. They took all these knives away and he was still able to get guns. Legally bought four guns. Even, it's, it's appalling. It's like, and seeing it on Twitter was so hard because you saw like there was a boy missing, his parents. I can't even like, honestly, that is making me so upset. Like I really can't even, that, I just found out, I knew that he was missing. I didn't realize both of his parents had been killed. Like, it's like too horrifying. Like I can't even truly like wrap my mind around it. But yeah, it's all just, and then the Ohio, well, because my thing too is like, Stepping away from that and onto the hell of abortion, it's like, why are the doctors following the rules? So they believe in this garbage. Like, is that it? Like, I don't get it. If like a 10-year-old came to you and they were a few days past six weeks, why wouldn't you just do it? Why wouldn't you just write it on the paperwork? Yep, she was five weeks. Like, who care? Who is catching you? Right. It's like these people believe in it. Well, that could be it, but they also could be like, you know someone could report me. Someone in their family could report the same way how in, would in they Texas. Know? How would they know how many weeks? How would they know? No one would know. You're the doctor. You write the letters. Like, I'm just shocked That's at true. how quickly everyone is just like, oh, like filing yeah. into the line. It's like, I don't understand why we're following the rules. I just yeah. don't get it. Why is this a news story? Why is this girl a news story? Why isn't this just a thing that someone handled quickly yeah. and quietly? Oh my gosh. And with all the content and everything we talk about in the show, what I'm seeing a lot too is like, I love that the discussion's always like, what are we going to do after someone's raped? It's never like, yeah, are people just going to stop raping ever? I just, yeah, I've been seeing like, oh my God, I've been seeing like so many heartbreaking stories on Twitter where people are talking about their experiences and like, it's just like, the it's Debbie just Reynolds so one? widespread. No, but not even abortion experiences, like experiences of being like raped by their dads, like and by their uncles and stepdads and shit. It's just like fucking horrible. Um, but you know, that is Yeah, the- and then I have men being like, wait, would I be good or bad in Handmaid's Tale? It's like the decision's already cleared. You are bad. You are a bad person. I'm looking at you. You're bad. The things you say are bad. Yeah. Oh my God. You're bad. You like this. I mean, you waited till you got rich and famous to find someone to date because you wanted someone to look a certain way. Like, you you don't see value in your partner in a true way at all. Like, of course you're going to be bad. Right. Why would you go out on the line for other women? It just like... It's wild. It is wild. It's yeah. a lot. But I did, my one positive, I was at um, our local bar in our neighborhood and I did, like, the girls were making jello shots, red, white, and blue. She's like, not like there's anything to party about. And I'm like, well, we could just celebrate the people that are trying to help and make things change. Look for the helpers, Mr. Rogers. Rogers style. But the ones that are, hel- it's like, who's helping? AOC. And that's it. Yeah. Like, is there anyone else? <sighs> Oh my God, I'll vote for her. Can she run? Um, she would never run. I mean, she would never win. If they didn't like Hillary, what, they're going to like AOC? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's um, no way. Um, here, I'll do a lighter thing that I have a problem on that you can help me. So I'm finally growing my nails. It's kind of exciting. I'm really enjoying having longer nails. Mm-hmm. But they're getting so dirty constantly. I'm constantly having to clean... The ins- like, what do you do? You what just have to wash your hands. Do? You have to like wash your hands all the time and clean. be cleaning them. It's annoying. It's just not fun. Yeah. I'm not really a hand washer. <laughs> JK. Well, you got to wash your hands all the time and like get and like really get under the nails and stuff with the soap. And then you all like sometimes you could do a darker color where you don't even notice. But you notice you know? the inside. It's on the other side. It's on the inside part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. You're right. If it's dark, I wouldn't notice. I'm really liking the clear glitter of it no, all. No, I do like your clear glitter, but that's going to show every little piece of dirt under those nails. Yeah. I just didn't. I, I've just always keep my nails as short as possible. I love it. So I love like different. Lisa with a long nail. I mean, what if you start getting into nail art and like acrylics no, and shit? That's too expensive. <laughs> it's too expensive of a hobby. I don't no, know how people are doing it. It's out of control. I don't know um, how people are doing it. Just the gel alone is so much. There's no way I'm going and getting acrylics. There was someone I saw with little gummy bears on each of their nails, like heart, like big little gummy bears. Wait, like 3D, like they're on there? Yes. Oh my God. Like beads, like, like gummy bear beads. Oh yeah, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. I, I, (laughs) I keep mine short because I, they just break. I don't have much of a choice, but let's. Get into what would Sister Peg do, shall please, we? Please, please, okay. yeah. Sorry I got so depressing. It's like, it feels weird not to touch on it because of our show. I mean, it is on everyone's mind and I'm no. trying to stay away. I don't like to, I mean, I'm trying to, not ignore it. I'm trying to like, it's, it's not hard to be stay positive fully right effective yeah. at all times. And then yeah. people are like, are you going to write jokes? And it's like, yeah, I'm going to write a bunch of abort. No, I'm sad. It's, it's happened. This is what happened when Trump won too. People were like, oh, must be great for comedy. And it's like, no, I'm devastated. I'm yeah, not doing yeah, jokes yeah. about shit that devastate right. me. Like, and I'm glad the people that can, c- cool. Um, I cannot. Yeah. Same. It's too... Yeah, dick and come for me. Come, piss, you know. (laughs) That's what I like to talk about. Get your feet off the stage. Um, (laughs) All right. Um, This week's What Would Sister Peg Do, which is our weekly segment where we give you guys um, an article, an organization, a doc, something to help you uh, learn a little bit more about what we touched on in today's episode. And obviously today, we're really just going to point you guys to the documentary from Netflix, Abducted in Plain Sight. It's... um, it introduced everybody to Robert Birchtold's horrible crimes and Jan Broberg and her whole story. And I think it's really important to, you know, put faces to the story that we told you today. So if you want to go check it out, um, it was shot and directed by the fabulous director and cinematographer Sky Borgman, and it is on Netflix. And the link to it will be in our show notes, but honestly, probably easier for you to just go to Netflix and search for Abducted in Plain Sight. And all of our What Would Sister Peg do's that you might want to review are in our, uh, the whole backlog of them are on our Instagram in a highlight called WWSPD. Thank you so much. And next week, we will be doing Daydream Believer, season 16, episode 20. Um, I'm excited. Watch. Watch it. We'll see you next week. Bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Annalise Nelson. And to our mixer, John Bradley. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.